I supposed to be the franchise player and we in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We talking about all right welcome back to our we talking about sports podcast it's episode number three we appreciate everybody tuning in again um everyone who subscribed and left a comment this week we appreciate y'all uh here at we talking about sports first things we like to do is uh shoot the breeze about our week uh, leave, uh, say any comments we want to talk about at the start of the podcast. I'm going to kick it off to Ben. Ben, how was your week? Uh, my week was good, bro. Just being essential like I usually am. Uh, my wife's birthday was Friday, so had a little birthday weekend. Thank God it wasn't a whole birthday month. But, yeah, we had her family over on Friday, and then we had some friends over Saturday for a barbecue. So here we are Monday, new week, fight week. We're back, episode so three. We got a name. Um, yeah, man, I'm happy to be back. Can you say that name one more time, Justin? We talking about time? sports with a Z. Nice. I like that. I like that. It's our first week with a podcast, uh, with a podcast name, excuse me. My week last week was good. Uh, glad to be back here, you know, third week in a row. We're officially on a streak. Hopefully we can get some more continuity going now that we got a name. Everybody, you know, go out and follow us on, on Twitter. I think we're, we're going to be on Facebook soon, uh, but definitely follow us on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, we're talking about sports. We're back here for a third week. Just ready to talk about some more uh, more stuff that's been going on. Yeah, that name is like a, an Allen Iverson play. That's something we came up with together. You know, just something lighthearted, something fun. As far as my week went, I had a pretty good week. I finally got to see my grandma. Uh, I, you know, social distance though, I kept away, but it was good seeing family. You know, I hadn't seen her in over a month. Um, just a quick shout out to both of these guys. Uh, normally, we like to release our podcast on Sunday. We did have an error, so we're re-recording it. So, just a big thank you all uh, for uh, putting up with me on that. No, I, I was going to say, Justin, I was going to respond to your tweet, but I, mean, I think we outvoted Ben. He wanted to do a Skype yesterday, and we said to stay on Zoom, so yeah. that's 50-50 on you and me right there. It's all right, though. All right, so what we'd like to do is yeah, address hey, the comments. No, but we're on Skype. We're on Skype, all right? So we hope Zoom all the stock down. <laughs> down all the Zoom stock. All right. And Skype's owned by Facebook. Here we go. This this is address the comments from this week. First up, we got, we got Josh Gonzalez coming in and he said, great job again, guys. In future coming, you'll probably need about 15 to 30 minutes, but it'd be cool if you did a GOAT discussion. I want to know who y'all think is the greatest MMA fighter and why. Also, weigh in soon on who's next for John Jones. Well, I don't think that we need that much time, Josh, to talk about who's a GOAT. Uh, I think you want us to weigh in on the GOAT. John Jones is a GOAT. Um, he's never lost. He did lose one by DQ, but nobody remembers that. Or um, yeah. And I think Dominic Reyes is next for him again. I think the fight was really close. Uh, closer than I expected. Closer than I think a lot of people expected. It was a good fight. I did have Jones winning, but I think it's inevitable. They need to run it back. So I'd say uh, Reyes is next. Yeah, definitely not going to get much an argu much of an argument out of me on that one. John Bones Jones, probably the GOAT. Uh, but if I just throw another hat in the ring, I, th I think the person with the best prime, like just at the, 
fighting at the peak of his athletic ability. I don't think anybody had a better prime than uh, Anderson Silva. Uh, I think when he was on that run that he was on uh, back in the mid-2010s or early 2010s, Mm-hmm. There's nobody in the world that was better than him. So, got to throw his name in the ring, but definitely John Bones Jones. And then to answer the second question, going to disagree a little bit with Ben on that. I'm um, going to say his next opponent up is John Blockowicz. I think not so much that John Jones is scared of Dominic Reyes, but uh, I just don't think there's anything there between them. And Reyes keeps on saying stuff in the media that it's it's not really uh, playing well with John Jones. So, I think he's going to use that to kind of pivot to a different opponent. Yeah, it's definitely Jones for me. Um, at light heavyweight, that's that's the division that I think is the baddest man on the planet usually. And look at who he's fought, all the title defenses. As far as who he has to face next, since he's already fought Reyes, I think it's John Blackwitz next for him, a new opponent, just to keep testing his skills. Thanks, Josh. That'll be the safer fight for sure. And our next comment is coming in from Big Mike on Twitter, and he said, "Caught the cast, boys. Keep up the great content coming." Man, we appreciate that. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, keep listening. We appreciate you, Mike. Definitely. Let us know what you think. Coming in next is the Bet King, and he says, "Eagles going for that heel New Orleans-like offense is the only thing that makes sense drafting Hearts that high." Peterson's crazy. This will be fun to watch. Peterson has crazy. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of what I see for him as well. Um, what about yeah, Ben? Like we, I mean, I think that uh, we had mentioned that they came out and said that it was going to be like Taysom Hill who plays for the Saints on steroids. Um, my biggest question was if he's going to be the second string quarterback. How much are they really going to use him? Um, he's he's athletic. I think that he can he can be as good as Taysom Hill in that position. But is he going to be as durable? Taysom Hill does have – he had a big uh, injury pad. Like he had a, a lot of injuries in his past uh, going back to his college days. Yep. But in the NFL, he's actually been pretty healthy since coming back. Um, so, yeah, that would be my biggest question is if, if they're going to use Hurts that much on offense um, as a utility guy, uh, who's going to be the backup quarterback? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the comment again. Um, I, I like that comment and question. Very good. Uh, but to answer it, you know, I, I'm still not in favor of, of you using, you know, just such high draft capital to get a, a gadget player. Uh, somebody like Jalen Hurts, like they said, they're going to try and operate under that New Orleans offense, but a little bit on steroids, which is going to be fun. And I think with uh, Peterson and, and his offensive mind, he's going to find a way to make it work. I mean, th- this is right up his alley. So I, I think it's going to be good. And the Eagles are just one of those teams that just draft to fit their mold. They don't really care about what the, the perception is on the outside, whether or not um, they got a good draft grade. I, I think they really just care about whether or not they got their guy. And that's probably why they went and got Jalen Hurts when they did. So going to be interesting to see how that develops. Do you think he's going to be like a sneaky dark horse maybe rookie of the year depending on how much he's used and kind of how much he can produce and what the other guys do so wouldn't put too much stock in it but just a name to keep in uh keep in uh in mind as the season goes on yeah Yeah. next comment also by the bed king i think this one's to roland and he says lmao fulham ain't successful either and that's a comment towards uh last week when roland was talking about uh the cons and the jaguars ownership 
Yeah, no, uh, not successful on either front right now. I, I know the Jags had their run a couple of years ago, but uh, that's kind of the theme with these owners that own um, a Premier League team and a uh, NFL team. I, I think the owner uh, that has the Browns, he also owned Aston Villa for quite some time. And I, I know the uh, Manchester United owner also had somebody in the NFL that wasn't doing too good. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a trend. Yeah, they know how to make money. They just don't know how to make teams, I guess. I hear you. Last comment from the Bet King says, How do you guys think the landscape for sports will look moving forward now that baseball and NBA have been postponed? How will this affect next year's schedules? Uh, I think that's kind of yet to be yet to be seen how it's going to affect next year's schedules. Um, I know the NFL's already come out and said that they're planning on releasing a schedule this week with no delays built in. So the NFL is planning on going on time. I, I know there's been some rumblings about the MLB potentially starting their, their spring training in about a month. So they're probably going to be delayed. They're already delayed. So I think they're the one sport, uh, maybe other than NBA, kind of what's going on right now. But we'll get into that a little bit later. And then, of course, um, NCAA football or college football, I think, could potentially be affected just because a, you got to get these kids in class and, and do something like that, and then B, you're, you are dealing with 18 to 21-year-olds. To so these aren't grown men that can kind of make their own decisions, although they're at that age. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. And how long will, pe- will they not have fans in the buildings at all? Like, yeah. you know, maybe not full capacity, but if movie theaters and other places like that are able to have 25% capacity, I'm sure the owners are going to be pushing for some sort of capacity at the at the games. Yeah, because they're going to try and fill as many jobs as they can in those arenas. And yeah, I mean, if you don't have fans, there's there's right. no concession workers or anything like that. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting. Park, parking workers, all that stuff. Yeah, no more tailgates. No, what's what's Bill's mafia going to do? <laughs> you know, they're not going to listen. <laughs> be going ham in their backyards, bro. <laughs> I saw a gender reveal just before we move on. I saw a gender reveal. Bill's mafia just threw a little baby on a, right on a, a table. That had, yeah, through a table. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if it revealed the gender. Yeah, I didn't. See I didn't gender. see blue or pink or nothing. It was just a white cake, just for fun. Yeah, and you and Roland. Speaking of that, NFL is releasing their schedule next Thursday, so we'll have a um, we'll have some picks of some business? sort as far as. Uh, what game we're looking forward to seeing the most once our team schedules are released. Is it this Thursday or next Thursday? This Thursday. This Thursday, yeah. All right, next comment is coming in from Dukes Obregon. He says, this is more of an appreciation post than a debate post. But I want to congratulate you guys on an awesome second episode. Repetition breeds success, so staying consistent with these episodes will hopefully pay off in the long just wanted to say great job, guys, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Mondo. Appreciate that. Appreciate the kind words. Mondo's been uh, sharing the podcast on Facebook and Twitter and stuff, so he's been helpful. Appreciate big, you, Mondo. Big Duke and Denver Bronco fan. Yeah. I have a feeling we might be talking about that. We're going to get to his Broncos. That's some foreshadowing going on, Roland. <laughs> get, get him better at this thing. There we go. Next, we got Wally coming in, and Wally says, what do y'all think about the new playoff schedule in the NFL? Good or bad for the league? Also, where the hell is Fournette going to get traded to? Or will he play hardball and sit out scenario? And I definitely like the additional uh, wildcard team being added to wildcard weekend uh, on two fronts. 
I, I like you get another team that's in there. So that's another team, you know, kind of fighting to the end uh, to make the playoffs. And then secondly, I like how there's only one true home field um, award for, for the number one seed. So the two right. seed is going to have to play wild card weekend, which is something that we've never seen before. And I think it's going to add a nice little wrinkle uh, to the NFL season. Yeah, the team should definitely be playing uh, towards the end of the year. Maybe uh, less sitting out of players. Yeah, um, with only with only one one bye, one team getting the bye week in the playoffs. I think that though more teams will be aiming for that. I mean, it's you stay healthier. It's just you want that bye, so it should tighten up the race between the Ravens and the Chiefs. Um, we'll see if uh, an out, another team can get in from the outside on the AFC. And as far as Fournette, man, um, good back. Terror, he's with a terrible organization. Um, he was lobbying to leave. Then he was on board trying to get yeah. Cam over there. Now they want to deal him. Uh, it's a messy situation. He's a good running back. He's had some injury, some injury history. And obviously at that position, it's it's a very expandable position. Teams seem yeah. to fit it easier than most. So I hope that I hope that he gets out of there for the Texans' sake and for his sake. <laughs> but yeah, that's a tricky situation. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I'm a big Fournette guy. Uh, I think he's very talented when he's healthy. Going to have to echo Ben. He, he's not with a very good organization right now. And as far as whether or not he's going to get traded, I, I don't know that he nor the Jaguars have much leverage right now. From his perspective, he has one year left on his deal that he's essentially going to have to play out or, or sit out and take some fines. So I, I don't think he's going to end up doing that. And then from the Jaguars' perspective, Teams already know that he's leaving, and then they're not going to re-sign him. So they're probably going to get pennies for him in, on the trade market, and the Jags aren't going to want to trade a guy like Fournette for, for pennies unless it's just super toxic and they have to get him out of there, uh, right. that they'll take like a seventh rounder for him. But, I mean, they drafted this guy in the uh, the first round with the fourth overall pick. So that's pretty crazy. And I think we'll t- also, t- sorry for the foreshadowing, but I think we'll talk a little bit about his draft class um, later. But... Yeah, it's just insane. All right. Yeah. Next comment is coming in from Ramiro Rodriguez, and he says, "Good job, fellas. What's your way too early prediction? Who's coming out of the AFC and NFC, along with a bold prediction for each conference?" Mm, bold prediction. I'm gonna. Well, it's not. I mean, it's not bold, but too early prediction. I would say the Texans, but I get killed in the comments and probably by you all. So <laughs> I'm just going to say we're going to get the matchup that we wanted at last year, which uh, I'm going to say Ravens-Chiefs AFC game. Uh, the Ravens win, and the Ravens will play the Niners. Niners win the Super Bowl way too early. Nice. I like that pick. And, and thanks for the comment, Ramiro. Kind words. And to answer your question, probably going to have to go with the Buccaneers, too early, definitely too early, but I definitely like everything that they've done post Tom Brady, um, beefing up that offensive line, uh, bringing back uh, Rob Gronkowski, one of Tom's favorite targets, which should give him some familiarity, and I also think it'll help him trust other receivers out there in the offense, knowing that he has a guy like uh, Gronk there. Uh, So definitely Bucks and the, the NFC and then the AFC. I'm sticking with Mr. Mahomes. Uh, I think the Chiefs are going to be that next team to start uh, reeling off some Super Bowl runs. So I'm going Chiefs, Bucks, and Chiefs repeat. Chiefs repeat. 
And the last comment coming in is from Gabriela Diaz. Oh. And she says, Big Pat. Now that Hopkins is gone and Watt rarely plays a full season, which player's jersey are you buying your wife next to wear on game days? Um, I, I, I know the, the perfect answer is the only untradeable player on our team, the guy who's about to get a ridiculous deal, uh, Deshaun Watson. No more spending money. We're going to have to find a place in our house here to put Hopkins jersey in the rafters. For sure. For sure. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's going to be a Watson jersey for sure. And and not battle reds. And she hates red. No battle red. Hey, um, so just you bringing that up, would you know more or less what that deal is going to be like for uh, Watkins? I mean, uh, for Watson? For Watson? I don't. I don't know what it's going to be like. I'm thinking if he's going to get the forty million a year that Dak get. Yeah, because I I would say that he's better, he's than, better Dak. than Dak. The thing that I want is I want us. I know we picked up his fifth year, but I want us to get his deal done before the Chiefs get Patrick Mahomes' deal done. Not because Watson's going to get paid more, but it'll just drive up the baseline. You know what I mean? For Mahomes. If Mahomes goes and gets the two hundred million that is rumored that he's going to get. Maybe instead of uh, you know Watson signing for one hundred and fifty, it goes to one sixty or whatever it may be. Well, if, if if Mahomes signs that deal, it's definitely going to drive the the baseline up for for the other guys. Not necessarily that they'll get his money, but more than they sh- more than they normally would. Yeah, I saw a bunch of people on ESPN talking about whether or not Mahomes would take the Brady approach and kind of take a little bit of a discount to ensure that the the team around him was you know. S- sufficient to to keep on moving forward and keep on reeling off championships because i mean a lot of these teams nowadays are reeling off their runs off of their quarterbacks rookie contracts and then you go ahead and find out what they're really about uh after they have to shell out that deal so uh gonna be pretty interesting to see if mahomes and watson uh decide to take a little bit of a discount to invest back into the team I don't think Watson is just because I, I think that's why we let go of Hopkins because we knew we had to pay Tunsil and and Watson. So I think he's gonna get a he's gonna get a pretty good deal. The thing is with these guys, you think that they, I mean, you you pay them that much money because they can make everybody around them better. So you don't always yeah. need that super high price receiver. I don't think Tyree Kill makes a crazy amount of money. He's also on his rookie deal though. Oh, still really? Yeah, I think so. Damn. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. We'll see. Or he we'll might see. have just gotten paid. I'm not sure. <clears throat> All right. Well, last week uh, we did a draft recap, and um, we had a few comments. that They were all from Denver Broncos fans. So yeah. we appreciate the interaction on, on Facebook there. Uh, so this week we decided we'd cover y'all's draft. Um, I'll go ahead and kick it off to Ben as far as that whole situation because I know he was there yeah. in the comments. Yeah, we had we had a couple people on on uh, on Facebook. Carla, Carla out in Madero, uh, we're we're being broadcasted in Madero. We're on the airwaves in Madero, so we've made it. All right, first thing. Mondo's also a Broncos fan. Uh, Ruben, who listens to the podcast, another Broncos fan. So yeah, let's go over it, man. I mean, the Broncos did great. They did great. First two rounds, they drafted receiver. Obviously, they got Jerry Judy, who a lot of people thought was the best receiver coming in. A couple of things at the combine. I, I heard the the rumor that I heard about it was that that necklace that he wears, the star, I believe it's the star of David. Yeah, because his nickname is Jew. 
Yeah, well, you know how at the combine they're no. known asking these athletes said the most ridiculous questions, bro. So that was a big topic was the necklace, and they're saying that that's why he dropped from not being the number one guy. That that's his nickname, though. That's why he yeah. has that star. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. swear. That's, that's an unconventional that's nickname. Suspect, right? But regardless, the dude can ball, and uh, he he's a good weapon. They're in a division with the Chiefs, high-flying offense. This is definitely a guy that can take the top off the defense, big play. Second round, they went and got another receiver out of Penn State, Burner. Um, and then they started addressing some of their needs in the secondary. They had Chris Harris leave to the Chargers. The year before, Bradley Roby left to the Texans. Um, they did pick up Kareem Jackson from us, but as far as cornerback, they had both of those corners leave. So in the third round, they drafted a corner. And then throughout the draft, they got some O-line help, more receivers, but, I mean, what they're doing is they're definitely putting the weapons around Drew Locke, and they're going to see, give him the year, maybe two, and see if if he's the guy. They picked up, they picked up Gordon in, in, during free agency in the offseason. So the Broncos have been active. Um, they've been making good moves, and it's going to come down to Drew Locke. Is, is he the guy or not? I know last year he came down to Houston and put a whooping on us. Mm-hmm. They, they have Sutton. Sutton was a, was a great target last year. They've drafted uh, tight ends. Previously, I know they have Fant, they have Butt, they have a couple of guys there. So it, the the big question is, will Drew Locke be able to get it done? That's going to be the the big question to the Broncos season this year. Yeah, I, I think at least this way we find out. There's no excuse for him. He's he's got all the tools. So it's put up or shut up, Drew Locke. Uh, we're going to find out your first round draft pick. So time is ticking on him. But you know, I big fan of the the Broncos draft. Just to get into the comments. Very, very big fan of it. I had them in my notes last week, but just glazed over them. But anyways, you know, just going into the first two picks has been highlighted. You know, you address speed. Your offense was devoid of weapons last year. Your best weapon was probably uh, Lindsey out of the backfield, just being honest, other than Cortland Sutton. But you add Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. Judy's obviously a very, very productive receiver out of Alabama. What else is new Alabama producing receivers, defensive backs? They're just, you know, an NFL factory right now. But Judy definitely can't go wrong with him. Pristine route runner, probably the best route runner in the draft. We kind of talked about that in our draft preview, the toss-up between him and Judy. And, I mean, him and Judy, between him and C.D. Lamb and his plus was, was his route running. So definitely like him from that perspective. And then K.J. Hamler. This guy can do it all. He's going to be a punt returner. He's going to be a kick returner. Can probably line him up out of the backfield sometime, but he's more than likely going to occupy that slot position. And this guy's a beast. As Ben said, he's a burner. Unofficial pro day. I think he ran a sub 4-3, so it's very impressive. Just to throw out a little stat there, his freshman year, he broke Saquon uh, Barkley's all-purpose yards record. So uh, this guy's a stud. I definitely like how the Broncos just looked at the landscape of their division and said they had to get faster to compete. So definitely like when a team is real with themselves like that. Kudos to John uh, to John Elway and putting together a good draft. And then uh, they addressed their secondary. They got a nice corner. And then also, I thought this could be a potential steal. He dropped in the draft because of injuries. He has one of the craziest injury uh, records um, out of any collegiate player that I've seen in the past couple of years. It's uh, the right guard out of Fresno State, Natane Mutai. Is it Fresno State or Utah? I'm, Fresno. I'm always confused. Them. I know it's red. Okay, so uh, yeah, they drafted him. He, all intents and purposes, just based on talent, this guy's a first rounder, arguably second rounder. There's talks about him early in his career being in that range, but injuries derailed him. He was able to make it to the draft, and the Broncos might have gotten themselves a steal in the sixth round. So that's the name to uh, keep a lookout for. 
in the future. Wow. And I know uh, Ben mentioned Melvin Gordon being added. Uh, so who's going to get the carries? Is running back by committee or you think uh, Gordon over yeah. Lindsey? They'll probably do some committee, but I mean, Gordon has, since he came in the league for the Chargers, he had been that three down, you know, all purpose yeah. back. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. You know, Lindsey's not getting paid much because he was an undrafted, undrafted signing. So, uh, for sure, yeah, I think they're going. Gordon's for sure going to be the starter, but they'll they'll work ways to get Lindsey in there, whether it's out of the slot or just going to running back sets, the way they would with um, when Gordon was with the Chargers. Yeah, him and Eckler. So they'll figure it out. I'm sure, but they have to keep Lindsey on the field somehow. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily uh, be so confident in, in them just going with uh, Melvin Gordon flat out and, and disregarding what Philip Lindsay's done for them. So I think they're going to be more of a split. Uh, I think it's going to be something kind of like what Ben said we saw in San Diego or Los Angeles uh, these past couple of years with uh, the split between Eckler and uh, Melvin Gordon. And Philip Lindsay might be better than Eckler. I'm a big fan of Eckler myself, but yeah. they're, they're the same type of guy. They do the same thing for you. He might be a better runner. So um, I, I'm going to look out to, for this offense next year, man. I'm excited to, to watch the Broncos for the first time in a while. Yeah, they Should have options. The yeah. yeah. All right, sticking with the NFL, uh, let's talk some free agency now. Um, this week we saw Jameis Winston sign with the Saints. That's something we did talk about last week. But now we know his numbers. It was a one-year deal and uh, guaranteed it's only a million – and at most, if he hits his goals, it's three million dollars. Do you think that's a, a good signing for the Saints, or is that oh, what's up with that as far yeah, as that goes? It's a, a great signing for the Saints. I think. I, I don't think you can get a guy who was a starting quarterback last year on the cheap like that in, in today's in today's world, especially with how important quarterbacks are. And then throw in the fact that Drew Brees got hurt last year. So, you know, the Saints might possibly be in need with how much they kind of relied on Teddy Bridgewater, although they have a well put together team. So the weight on Teddy Bridgewater's shoulder was probably not as heavy as one would think, but still he got the job done for him and he displayed the importance of a backup quarterback. So to answer your question, I definitely think they got him on the cheap. But as we talked about last week when we broke, didn't break the news, but we were reading it off as it was speculative, uh, that Jameis, he chose to take lesser money. So I, I think you have to factor that in too. But it's crazy reading off the names of people who make more than him, just going off the namesake. It's kind of ridiculous. And yeah. Some other cats. Yeah. I wish we would have gotten to uh, like, usually when some, a guy has more offers or stuff that he passed up, usually they'll get leaked. I mean, the weird thing is we haven't even heard a peep out of one of them. Obviously, it's a good signing for the Saints because how cheap they got him for. for I would sure. say it's a good signing for Jameis, too, because he wanted to be there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're a good team. He has a good good chance of, of getting getting a shot because Drew Brees is towards the latter end of his career, uh, injury-prone. He was out multiple games last season, and we saw what that did for Teddy Bridgewater. He went and got paid. So sure. if Jameis, Jameis just has to play three, four games and win them, man, look decent – He's got the offense to do it with there. Not that he didn't have the offense in in Tampa Bay, but definitely a a, a better run game here and more short passes as as to Tampa Bay and just airing it out to Mike Evans and, and Godwin. Yeah. So it's definitely a, I would say a smarter system. It's not as let it fly as the Bucks was. So if he gets a shot, he could definitely get paid, or they could just see the way he is around the building and see if they want to re-sign him and him be their quarterback going on 
for the for the coming years. Yeah, that's a good opportunity for him with those kind of offensive lines. You know, yeah, and he, I'd be in the film room. I, I can't wait till he busts up Bruce Arians in like two years. <laughs> well, another signing we saw this week was Jonathan Joseph, a longtime Texan. I'll let the Texan talk about it. Yeah, man. The the best free agent signing in Texans history thus far. Now, we haven't been a team for too, too long, but Jonathan Joseph, back in 2011, we signed him from the, the Bengals. He was with the Bengals, and they had a, a decent secondary over there uh, back when Pac-Man Jones was with them. We signed him to a five-year deal back in 2010, and he's been with us up until this Ooh. season. Um, obviously, the Texans scheme, you know, we got rid of Romeo Cornell, new defensive coordinator, but through the years, the, the, the past couple years, not through the years, but the past couple years, the defensive scheme has been a uh, transition to more man to man coverage as to cover two. And Jonathan Joseph is one of the older DBs in the league. Um, back, back when he got drafted in the first round by the Bengals, he was at the combine. He ran a four, three, one, but obviously after 13, 14 years in the league, um, the, your speed definitely goes down. So, I wish that he would have – the Texans were pushing him to retire and hopefully join the coaching staff there, but he's hell-bent on getting – he's hell-bent on getting the – the being the leader for all-time deflections in NFL history, and he's seven behind Champ Bailey, and he's four behind Rondé Barber. So um, he's more of a cover two DB. I guess he could help the Titans out in the red zone. He's supposed to sign with the Titans a one-year deal only. So let's see if he can get those those eight deflections this season and maybe call it a career after that. I think he'll I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. Mm, I don't know about that. I think he's fringe. I think he's a good player for sure. Maybe Texans Hall of Famer nah, for sure. Um, you know, he was the leading the all time leader in interceptions for the Texans. When I first saw his name on the the list of topics today, I, I wasn't sure why we were talking about him, but got to give Jonathan Joseph his props. He's definitely been in the league a long time since 2006. As Ben mentioned, he's 36 years old, kind of a continuing a trend for cornerbacks playing up in age. Uh, corners have always been one of those uh, positions other than quarterback where you can last a while. I think the last guy that I remember getting up there in age was a former Cowboy, uh, Terrence Newman. I think he played up until he was 39, maybe 40 uh, when he finished up with the Vikings. So uh, props to Jonathan Joseph on a great career. I, I got to give him props. But uh, I have a little bit of a trivia question. Can anybody here tell me who the number two leading uh, all-time leader in interceptions is for the Texans? For the Texans, uh, definitely not on the team anymore. No, no, he's not on the team. Uh, Played during the same time as Jonathan Joseph. Kareem Jackson. Yeah, you're correct. You're correct. He's uh, one shy of Jonathan Joseph. He had 16, and Joseph finished his Texans career with 17. So nice. definitely both up there. Nice trivia, nice trivia. Yeah, man. Jonathan Josephs, thank you for your Texans career. He, but he did his thing, bro. I mean, he did his thing. Yeah. All right. On the NFC side, uh, there was a trade, and that's Trent Williams, and now he's with the Niners. Uh, yeah. Roland, you, you had the picks. It was a fifth and a sixth? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, so the, it, it was a fifth rounder for this past year's draft, the 2020 NFL draft. So that was it was a draft day trade. Uh, ended up, yeah, ended up getting a. Is it the fifth round day two or day three now? But I know the trade happened day two. But anyways, I think it's day three. Uh, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah so Saturday they got a day three pick in, in the new NFL draft scheme, mm-hmm. and then 
they used a six rounder for the 2021. So really just highlights uh, the 49ers offseason again and John Lynch and the job that he's doing. Probably not going to be a Hall of Famer as a player, but I'm sure he, he's already on the right trajectory as a Hall of Fame GM as far as, you know, took the, the Niners straight to the Super Bowl as a GM, I think the first year under the helm or the second year. And then you look at their offseason and what they've done, had a great draft. I mean, they, they traded their, their first rounder, uh, not that they traded their first rounder, excuse me, they traded DeForest Buckner for an extra first rounder, ended up getting Javon Kinlaw um, and just plugged him right in there. So that's your yeah. first round draft pick. You already had a strong defensive line. Plug in Kinlaw, who has a lot of talent, as everybody was raving over. And then, uh, you know, they go and make this trade and, and get Trent Williams for a fifth and a sixth rounder. I mean, Trent Williams, before his injuries, was, I think, I, I want to say he was a perennial pro bowler. Somebody fact-check me, but uh, this guy's super talented. Injuries aside, he's there. He's 31 years old, and he's going to slide in and replace Joe Staley, potentially the greatest offensive lineman in uh, 49er history. So mm-hmm. great, great move. Uh, 49ers definitely know what they're doing, and um, they're Ben's too early pick, but I-, I think that's a pretty safe pick if you're looking at the NFC too. So they're, yeah. they're going to once again. Always doing a good job, man. Like you said, they traded Buckner, unfortunately, to the Colts. But with that first-round pick, they just replaced him with a guy who's going to be on a rookie deal and not paid like Buckner. Hopefully with the same uh, trajectory as Buckner because, I mean, he was a top 15 pick. Yeah, he was a beast. So, and then you get you get a, yourself a left tackle, which is arguably the most important position in football for right-handed QBs, right, because it's the blind side. Replacing a Hall of Famer and Joe Staley, you get like rolling a, a perennial all-pro guy. So the rich get richer, man. Uh, the 49ers did a good thing. Let's see if he st- can stay healthy. That's that's still a, uh, that'll be a question mark. He's a heavy dude. Uh, he's a heavy dude. So let's hope that his his movement stays the same. But yeah, great, great, great uh, trade for the 49ers. Another move they made, I think, was uh, Emmanuel Sanders. They got Brandon Ayuk to replace him. Yes, yes, they drafted him at the end of the first round. Uh, so another impressive like pick. Knows. And and Goodwin, they traded him to the Eagles also. Yep. So. Yeah. yeah, they've been making moves. They're going to have gonna... a young a young wide receiver core with Debo Samuel and and Ayuk and I mean George Kittle himself is pretty young too. Yeah. So they're going to be a mean offense because both be Debo Debo and Ayuk are both talented with yeah. the ball in their hands. They did so. they did trade Breda as well, but with them they showed last year. I mean they made Mostart look like he was yeah. a Super Bowl MVP man. So. Um, yeah, the 49ers are doing it right. They're building from the inside out, and it's working out for them. That's definitely their division to lose. All right, next up, it's a two-parter here. We got Andy Dalton released and signed in the same week. Um, first off, what does that mean for Joe Burrow now that Andy Dalton was released right away? It's go time. It's go time, baby. Should be the leader, the, the odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year in the AFC. So he's going to have all the opportunity in the world. There's been there was talk of him already having access to the the Bengals playbook uh, weeks in advance, even I think ahead of the draft. So this guy should be a plug and play. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that was expected from him. Uh, we all knew that he knew that he was going to be the number one pick for sure. The, they were welcoming their him there days before the draft. It's been said that he had the playbook a couple, maybe a week, couple days before the draft. So. I think the expectations have always been for him to be the starter from day one, and 
I have high hopes for Joe Burrow, man. I think he can make it interesting. Yeah. And as, and far, as far as, as Dalton, yeah, as far as Dalton, I mean, uh, the Cowboys knock it out the park again. It seems like they've been doing everything right this offseason right. from the draft until now. I mean, it's our year. It's our yeah, year. In, in the draft, they did what the Eagles couldn't do, and they just took best available on the board. Yeah, they had just paid Amari Cooper 20 mil a year, but CD Lamb was the best available player. Obviously, there wasn't a safety yeah. or a DB that was should have been taken with that pick. So, I mean, they loaded up on their offense. And, and that wide receiver core was far from finished. I think they needed to, to add one more piece because they also lost uh, Randall Cobb in the offseason. Right. So, uh, wasn't just going to exactly wasn't just going to go in with uh, Gallup and Amari uh, Cooper. So, and now that you have Lamb. Yeah, but just to get back to Dalton, though, I, perfect signing for the Cowboys. I. It's a two-part play. I think you add depth and you add a teeny bit of leverage in the Dak Prescott situation. And you just say, hey, if you don't sign by the middle of July, whatever that date is, I think it's July 25th. I might be butchering the date on that. But if you don't sign your franchise tender by then, we have a guy that if we put in there, I think they're a playoff team. I don't know. Andy Andy Dalton and Dak Prescott, how big is that difference? It's not Cooper Rush or John Kitna, anybody. I mean, Andy Dalton has 120-plus starts in the league. You know, he's been a playoff quarterback. No, he's not the best quarterback, but he's a game manager, and you have Zeke in the backfield. He can hand off the ball to Zeke just like Dak can. And people want to talk about his stats last year. His best receiver was John Ross. Uh, I don't have to say anything else. I I mean, you can't blame Andy Dalton for what happened last year with that Bengals offense. (laughs) I don't know. That's just me. He did have Boyd, and Boyd underperformed. I had higher hopes for him in fantasy. No A.J. Green, no tight end. I don't know. Yeah, and they added T. Higgins with the first pick in the second round. So T. Higgins and A.J. Green, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. Should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a tough division, but it should be fun. Yeah. All right. As we saw in this draft, it was super wide receiver heavy. Um, one of the signings this week was Ted Ginn Jr. going to the Bears. Uh, still no AB. Um, will he play again or not? I mean, I'm the resident AB guy on the podcast. I, I'm AB. a big AB fan. Booming. Yeah, I drafted him like three or four years in a row on fantasy, so I have a little bit of affection for him. But all that aside, he's too talented not to play. Uh, I think he's ultimately going to play, but the the odds are not as great as they should be. Uh, I think it's like 30% he's going to play again, 70% he's not. And that's because I'm a big AB fan. So if I were to put money on it, there's a, a line out there somewhere, which I'm sure there is. I would say AB will not be on an NFL team if I were putting money on it. Yeah, Ted, Ted Ginn, not the biggest signing, but proving speed keeps you around. I mean, 34 can, years old. Just him being able to run in a straight line at lightning speed, keeping him in the league. But as far as AB, yeah, he'll play in the league. Maybe not at the start of the year, but by the end of the season, I believe we had talked about, I see him in the league. I know recently he posted on Snapchat a picture of him in a Ravens uniform. Thirsty. And he, yeah, thirsty. Yeah, but he also has been. He has worked out with Lamar For and sure. his cousin Hollywood Brown over there. So I mean, it's it's not all speculation. There is there is a little link there, but we'll see. I don't see him in the league uh, by by uh, like training camp and the start of the season. But yeah. eventually, somebody will add him to their roster. 
And, and just while we're on wide receivers and uh, contract, I just want to clarify on the Tyreek Hill thing. He he actually signed a three three year fifty four million dollar deal this past year, so wow. he is on a kind of big contract. All right, back checking. No, oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, another one was this week: Leonard Fournette's fifth year option will not be picked up. Jack signed Chris Thompson. Um, let's, what are the thoughts on Fournette? Um, we see him with another team this year. I mean, next year. I hope so. Not many teams are in the are in the are shopping for a running back right now. And like I said earlier, very a, a position that's very expandable. You saw who the Chiefs won the Super Bowl with. I mean, they won the Super Bowl with a guy with a guy who didn't do anything in the regular season, and he just had a playoff. I, it's like they were saving him. I thought they were saving Shady McCoy the whole time, but they were saving this guy. But yeah, man, unfortunately for him, that's a position where it's the shortest uh, lifespan in the NFL. And uh, he's had an injury riddled past. Teams just aren't looking to pay these guys big money. So he'll be on the team, but it won't be on one of those lucrative deals, I don't believe. And hopefully he gets traded. Yeah, got to agree with you, Ben. I don't think he's going to be on the same team next year. I don't think he's going to get moved, though. I don't think he's going to get traded because, as I alluded to earlier, I, I think it's going to take a serious discount for the, the Jaguars to move him uh, in these current conditions and, and the scenario that they find themselves in, knowing that they're not or they're already not picking up his option for the fifth year and he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. So I think that's kind of how this is going to play out. Um, but I, I also I think it's kind of interesting that Fournette, with his option not being picked up, he becomes the fourth out of the, the top five picks from 2017 the fourth player to not have their option picked up. Uh, Trubisky didn't have his picked up. Solomon Thomas from the 49ers didn't have his picked up. And Leonard Fournette and Corey Davis, Corey Davis from the Titans both had their fifth-year options declined. So 2017 draft, the, the top of the draft, complete redraft. We were to do that today for sure. I mean, you look at who the Texans ended Mahomes. up with. Watson would be one, two. And then Mahomes, yep. One, Mahomes, two right Watson. there. And all those teams have been picking in the top 10 every year after they, they missed out on those two guys. Yeah, surprising that I saw um, in terms of the, the fifth-year option being picked up was Mike Williams for the, the Chargers. I didn't expect them to pick that up, but they ended up doing it. So. He's pretty good. He just needs to stay healthy. Yeah. And the crazy thing is, though, like we know that the Bears traded up to number two to take Trubisky, but 10 other teams passed on those two quarterbacks also. You know, That's true. Nine other teams. That could have used them. The Jaguars, they would have, they would have been set. I mean, they would have been running that division with Mahomes or Watson. Yep. Luckily for us, we were like pick twenty four that year, and Rick Smith, the last year before leaving as our GM, he traded up to draft Watson. Yeah. But it did hurt us because we gave up a couple first round picks, and now giving up the first round picks for Tunsil. It feels like we haven't drafted in the first round in a while. Yeah. But I mean, those two players are the cornerstone to our offense, so. But, you know, just one last thing on, on Fournette. I, I do hope he's able to play this season uh, fully healthy because when he is healthy, he's one of the, the top 10 backs in the league, um, I think. He, he's a brute force. Uh, he was very sought after com coming into college and then even coming out of college, fourth, round, uh, uh, fourth overall pick. But yeah. this past year, fully healthy on a somewhat questionable offense. Uh, 76 catches that shows you they didn't have many other options on the perimeter and he also had 1100 rushing yards so talented guy just has to avoid in injuries yeah that, those top five running backs like i mean zeke 
Saquon Barkley. Like that's that's what you're hoping to get when you're drafting top five, and yeah. definitely that's what everybody had planned for Fournette. But mm-hmm. his, his injuries, I mean, he can't stay healthy, and it's the way he runs. He's a hard runner, man, and they they give him the ball a lot. Yeah, they get, with Blake Bortles at the helm for all those years, they were yeah. just writing, and they they handle him poorly. I think you you talked about it too. It's just a, a horribly run franchise. I, I don't want to disrespect anybody, but uh, I mean, he came back off of a hamstring injury, and they pounded the rock with him. I think it was the yeah. against the Colts, and then he ended up re-injuring it the the very next game. So mishandled. Yeah. Hate to see it. All right, man. Speaking of injuries, uh, let's head over to another league, the NBA. This week, I got to hear the John Wall on all the Smoke podcasts. That's with Steven Jackson and uh, Matt Barnes, two 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 of one of my two of my favorite players on the defensive side of the ball. Um, John Wall, you know, he pretty much put an end to that whole Bradley Bill spill of them not getting along, them not being friends. Um, Roland, you were the one that actually introduced me to that podcast. Do you want to let the people know a little bit more about that storyline? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, John Wall recently, I think it was their most recent podcast, went on with Stephen Jackson and and uh, Matt Barnes on the All the Smoke podcast. And, you know, he kind of gave him an insight into what's going on in his head right now, how he's uh, working back with rehab and, you know, touched on, as Justin just talked about, his relationship with Bradley Beal. As anybody that's followed the NBA since both have been in the in, inside the, the NBA <clears throat> or since they both got drafted, excuse me, I know John Wall is a few years older than Bradley Beal, but since they've been teammates, there's always been a lot of talk around whether or not these guys are friends do these guys hate each other uh, they both are victims they're not victims but they they both have bad body language at times so you never really know what's going on from the outside looking in but john wall pretty much said that during his rehab and you know he was going through something personal with his mom going through a sickness and she actually passed away um during the season the season and i think the wizards were playing in charlotte or something like that and john walls in he's from north carolina that's where he played his high school ball and i think he has a house there and that's where he's doing his rehab and he said that instead of going home on the team private jet bradley beal decided just to drive down and spend three days with john wall just to see how he was doing just to be a good friend not even a teammate just all things aside just go and see how john wall's doing not how my teammates doing so uh he was talking about things a lot bigger than hoop uh basketball is is more than just you know people dribbling a ball these guys are friends they have families their husbands they have kids and you know that the podcast or that interview gave a lot of insight into that among other things but yeah just to talk about that situation that was really insightful yeah he uh he was real positive on the podcast too saying that he would come back you know better than ever for sure Um, his mom had passed away from cancer and so he was actually with the team and they weren't playing in charlotte but he was on the bench and he said he found out that night he was going to drive the next day. Go. So he got the call. And Bradley Beal was the first guy that had gone to his room also to console him. So I think they put an end to all that banter. I know Bradley Beal had been in the in uh, in trade talks this past offseason. He was uh, the Lakers, one of their biggest targets, knocked down three-point shooter that they needed. And he's a beast, man. He's a beast. Yeah, unfortunately, for, unfortunately for John Wall, his game – to me, it, it relies more on athleticism. I compare him to like Russell Westbrook. I think they have the same game. Sure. Uh, neither guy, or both guys, uh, really lacking that outside jumper. You know, they got that free throw line to elbow, mid range jumper down, but they rely more on their athleticism and their speed. And with him, it, two injuries. He was coming from a. It was a knee 
two years ago, then he had the bone spurt, then he slipped in his house and tore his Achilles. Now, he was saying on the podcast that he didn't rupture it the way Kevin Durant did. He just tore yeah. Slight tear. So, I mean, kind of down, downplaying it a bit, but we've seen in the past that athletes really don't, they don't come back, they don't fully recover from those Achilles injuries. I mean, that's that's what did uh, Kobe, you know, that was yeah. Kobe's final injury. So it's, it's definitely something very devastating to come back from. And a guy like John Wall, who relies a lot on his explosiveness, um, it's sure. going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. But he was an all-star prior to that. I mean, yeah, perennial all-star. Yeah, the guy carried the, the. He was carrying the Wizards. You know, they they weren't winning many playoff series, but they did win some playoff series, and it was because of him. So I'm interested to see his return, and and they've built the roster up a yeah. bit while he's been out too. And and again, I think Ben touched on it a bit. He was an all-star. He was a stud while he was. Yeah. an all-star he he averaged 20 and 10 three years in a row almost or averaged that over a three-year period he's a 19 and 9 guy yeah he's he has a lot of athleticism and that's a big part of his game he's given us a lot of highlights over the course of his career uh, dating back from high school to college and even in the NBA with the Wizards but I will say he's also a playmaker I, I think he's really good at getting his teammates involved and you know we saw that while he was carrying the team and, and taking them to the playoffs each year uh, he was making the guys around him better so he might have a slight fall off in terms of his athleticism but even if it's a slight fall off I mean he was up here and the rest of the NBA was kind of right here so maybe he's on more of a level playing field with everybody else or he cannot recover at all from that Achilles. I think that's kind of the thing with these injuries. It's a wait and see. I'm still interested to see how Kevin Durant comes back from his um, Achilles injury. So definitely something to monitor. I'm a big John Wall guy. I think he has the probably the best high school mixtape of all time. Um, and he's continued that off with a pretty good NBA career. So I'm, I'm going to root for him to come back, and I think he will. I think he'll be an all-star again. Yeah. I'll go on record saying he won't be an all-star. All right. I mean, I know, I know a lot of it is fan vote. I think it's well, the starters might just. Yeah, be. you can't backtrack now. He already said it. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not backtracking, but it is only the starters that are fan vote. So <laughs> he's not getting in because of fan vote uh, in the Eastern Conference. So I'll go on record saying he won't. But I am rooting for the guy. I am, right. and if you haven't seen his high school mixtape, check it out. One of the things of the stories that he uh, brought up was, since he is from North Carolina, he actually wanted to go to North Carolina. But they asked him to yeah. sign first week right then and there at his first visit. And he said, I, I still want to go see all these other colleges. You can't make me sign right now. I got options. And the, Yeah, that's what pushed him to Kentucky. I that, thought that, that was, was interesting. interesting. They said uh, he, he went on a visit to UNC and Tyler Hansbro was a part of the, the group that was yeah. in charge of the visit or whatever. And they went to a football game. But they wanted him to sign on the spot. And he said, like... He came up. He grew up in the hood. He really didn't get to travel. He wanted to go to these different states and get yeah, the experience. For sure. And I mean, it worked out well because they too. ended up. Yeah, they ended up playing Kentucky. They beat Kentucky, and I mean, he was on a team that sent five guys in the first round. So yeah. definitely, definitely one of the one of the best college teams of all time, and and very transcending. That was the start of the social media era. So I mean, the Dougie, all that stuff. It was him yeah. and Dougie. Patrick Patterson. It was, um, it was a that, that was a fun era of college basketball for sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. So keeping up with the NBA, uh, the there has been an NBA bubble proposed, and so far that would be at the MGM Las Vegas or Disney World. Um, hey, has a has any have any players come out in support of this? 
Yeah. Is there like an important player, somebody that's already said that they're for this or that they don't want the season to be canceled? Yeah, the only one player. Even. Yeah, that's the only one player is the only thing I've heard <laughs> from LeBron as far as our season is not going to get yeah. canceled. Most will say that's Maybe. the only player Maybe. that matters. He's, he's it's only his word that matters. But, but is LeBron the leader right now of the NFL? I mean, the NBA Players Association. I don't think I so. I think it's still Chris Paul. I thought Chris Paul. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to hear from them. Kyrie Irving really the, got elected. The players as the president. He's the new I, president. He's like the incoming chair, I think, or so, he's okay. he has a high position up there. He somehow got voted in. I, I don't I mean, know. How. It used to be Chris Paul, but yeah, the bubble, the but MGM and yeah, Walt Disney. Sorry. I mean, I think it's just trying to save. Obviously, they're trying to save their season, but then do you risk? You know, starting this season, if, if this pandemic lasts as long as it does, I know Dr. Falsi has been already on record saying that some of these sports just aren't going to be able to go on like they think that they are. And the NBA, for one, that their season would be ending here in a month and a half, right? Yeah. Uh, they might be starting their playoffs in August, September. So uh, they, they normally start their season at the end of October. Do you risk ruining two seasons? Uh, do you risk not having a champion for one season? That, I think that's why they're pushing it because they just don't want what do the Raptors or the Raptors uh, back-to-back champs or well, how is that going to work out? You know what yeah, I mean? That's true. Well, they just uh, – I, I know Lakers fans will just say, no, we're the champs. We have the best record. It doesn't work I, that I, way. No playoffs, yeah, but it doesn't Thomas. work. What would happen? That, that's the thing, yeah. though. That's why I think that they want clarity to it. Um I'm on the side of it's not going to happen. I don't. I don't think. I think that they're not going to risk next year's season. I think that you just sit this one out, and even if you do start the next season a little bit late, you're going to have that full season. You don't want two seasons to have asterisks on them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think you got to scrap the season too. I, I like the idea. It sounds pretty cool, <laughs> honestly. Being in a bubble with, you know, just a couple of. Um, couple of cities or a couple of arenas that you're playing in i I think they're i think john or not john justin said disney world and mgm las vegas so i think that's a pretty cool idea it sounds nice but we don't know enough yet still about you know the virus and and kind of what's going to happen with the potential second wave so i think the last thing that you want to do is throw all these you know multi-millionaire athletes out there and and have one of them get sick and you know a whole bunch of them start contracting it so you know i think the nba got lucky that it wasn't as widespread as it as it was or as it was elsewhere considering that you know rudy gobert potentially played with a good portion of of players uh, before uh, he ended up testing positive uh, for covid so i think it's risky going back and for that reason i i don't think they're gonna try and play in 2020 but I, I will say, or not 2020, but to finish out the season, excuse me. But I will say, I know I was making fun of LeBron earlier, but he, he has to throw around his weight. I, I don't think he has any other option but to try and salvage this season. Just from his legacy standpoint, I know a lot of guys don't like to get into the whole rings debate with LeBron, but we'll save that for another day. But he's trying to, A, preserve his legacy and preserve his best chance at winning a title in the the past few years because i mean he really wasn't favored to win with how the nba was structured over the past two three years with the warriors and then going forward if, once we come back and we start the season over or even if we go into the playoffs um sometime in in 2020 uh they might not be the the, the odds-on favorite like they were uh, potentially going into this uh, nba playoffs so a lot to be seen, and if they don't come back this year, LeBron never wins another title. 
Ouch. Um, hot take. Hot take. Just to keep up with what it would take to open, this is something I read on an article this week, and it says, from the reopening to the end of a resumed season, the NBA has an expectation that it will need in the neighborhood of 15,000 tests, sources said. Several manufacturers can assure those M- the NBA the tests, but they can't guarantee the American public will have its needs met. Yeah, yeah that's another reason why you can't go back. You, you can't go back until all the public can get tested. Yeah, it's a bad look. Plus, I heard that Bugs and the Toon Squad, if they did a Disney, would want a place in the playoffs. Toon <laughs> Squad would have to be in. <laughs> With those kind of numbers, it's hard to see the the resuming of an NBA season, man. Yeah. I mean, any team that wasn't, like, I, I get that we're making fun of, you know, or like, you know, throwing jabs at LeBron for doing it, but if the Warriors were in first, Steph would be doing the same thing. If the Rockets were in first, Harden and Westbrook would be doing the same thing. I mean, anybody that's in that position would be doing the same thing because they were the odds-on favorite the way the season was going. Yeah. So I mean, I understand, but it's it's a little bit – it's kind of out of the question with the way things are right now and just the expectations of everything that would be needed. You know, yeah, we do have UFC, but it's different. They're not – a full team. They're not a, a 15 man roster. It's one fighter, one fighter. So yeah, it's it's tricky. Quick hitters. Enter full screen. All right. Um with this week we got sports coming back live. Uh UFC two forty nine is gonna be going down. Um but to top it off we got some UFC quick hitters we want to cover. Uh, to start with, uh, Dana White came out this week and he said UFC welterweight champion Kamaru Usman isn't the only option the promotion is looking at for George Masvidal's next fight. So who do you guys have quick hitter for next uh, fighters? What, who's fighting who next? Uh, I didn't like the matchup when it happened. Of them two, I don't think it's a good style matchup. You don't want to kill Masvidal's buzz. Uh, fight him against somebody who's standing up. I'm going to go back to Connor. Connor and Masvidal makes the most sense. And Usman and Colby gave us a classic, man. Everybody was pleased with that fight. Let him run it back. Let him whoop his ass again. I'm for it. All right. Well, you're rolling. Uh, I have to agree. I, I thought that well, I'm not agreeing with the fact that I think he's going to fight Colby again, but the Colby and Usman fight was great. So kudos on that for sure. But, um, you know, at, at first I, I got a little mad when I read this because I, I like to see the top two contenders or, you know, the – the title holder fight the top contender, which is arguably uh, George Masvidal right now. I'm not too big a fan of these big super fights, although when they make sense, obviously, I mean, they do numbers and they're exciting. So um, obviously, George Masvidal, as Ben said, he's a hot name right now um, and he has options. I, I think for him, it makes sense to possibly not fight Usman because he's a little bit up in age. He's about 36 and, you know, bef- before this last run that he was on, he's arguably a, a journeyman guy, but he's recently found his groove. He's fuck. He... Damn. I wonder if uh, I wonder if he's downloading something. Twenty. Yo, you there, Roland? Yeah, you froze up. Uh, after you said find his groove. 
Yeah, so Masvidal's found his groove since he came back into the into the UFC. Uh, after 2017, he took a two-year layoff, came back in, in 2019, and he's found himself on a streak. So, you know, i got to give him his due there. And if he wants to go out and make money, then go out and do that, man, and go fight Connor. I think that's a good fight. Dark horse, sneaky fight for him. If Colby doesn't fight Usman, I would like to see Colby and, and Masvidal fight. I think that would be a really intriguing fight. All right. Yeah. Another quick hitter on this week was Chris Weidman, former middleweight champ, who's been baptized a few times, says uh, he's a problem for Adesanya, the current middleweight champ. Uh, how outside of his mind is Chris Weidman right now, Roland? Well, I'm, uh, we have all these last five records for the fights that we're about to break down. I, I didn't see Weidman's on here. Is his like last? Isn't he like one in six? So in his last seven or something like that. So he's uh, completely outside of his mind. I don't know. I don't like to make jokes about head injuries or anything like that. <laughs> but I don't know that this might be a residual effect of that. But yeah. I gotta gotta love his confidence. He's obviously he's confident in himself. And you know, after reading the whole article, he did say he had a long way to go. So yeah. he's not saying or clamoring for a, a title fight with Izzy, but. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what problems he gives Izzy um, at this point in time. Yeah, he's in over his head, man. He's got one of the weakest chins. He moved up to light heavyweight after a couple of losses there. He went up to light heavyweight. Dominic Reyes knocked him out in forty seconds, and now he's back. And he's not gonna. He won't make the climb. He won't. He'll never get to Izzy. So it's it's relevant. Yeah, I got you. All right, all right. Finally, live sports. UFC two forty nine. The headliner, That's Ferguson cool. versus Gaethje. We're going to kick it off to Ben. He's going to guide us through this one. Ben, take it away. All right, y'all. Finally, fight week. We got fights. We got fights. Uh, here on We Talking About Sports, we're going to be picking every fight for this UFC 249 card for this Saturday. Um, we're going to start a little competition on the show between us three. Um, y'all at home can also play along. Uh, we're going to be picking every fight based on the odds. Uh, we're going to give the we're going to give the odds prior to the fight. If you pick a guy who, let's say, is a four to one underdog, you would get four points for picking that fight. If you pick a guy who's a favorite, doesn't matter if it's a ten to one favorite, five to one favorite, you only get one point for picking that fight wrong. If he's barely a favorite, you only get one point for picking that fight right or picking that fight wrong. You don't get a point. So if you all do want to play along with us, we don't know exactly what we're playing for, but we're going to get down to something. The winners. The winner is getting something by year's end. So if y'all are down to play along at home, uh, let us know who you got for the fights this weekend, whether it's on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, wherever it is. Let us know who you got, man. All right. So let's get to the card. So the curtain jerker, the curtain jerker for UFC 249, light heavyweight division. We got Ryan Superman Span uh, coming in, and he's fighting Smiling Sam Alvey. Now, a theme for this fight, we got a lot of nicknames on this card. So... If there's one that sticks out to you or one that's your favorite, let us know which one it is. Um, as far as this fight taking place in the 205-pound division, Ryan Spann is a, a young prospect. Uh, he's 28 years old, prospect, barely hitting his prime. He's six foot five, so this guy's a problem. I saw him fight live in the Valley at El Orgullo del Valle. He actually fought my cousin, and he did get a win in that one. Um, he made his way to the UFC. He was on Dana White's uh, Tuesday Night Contender Series. He had two appearances there. In his first one, he got knocked out, bro. 15-second KO. Um, 
he came back 2018 and he got a 28 second guillotine. So with that 28 second finish on Dana White contender, he earned himself a contract, got into the UFC and he's three and zero in the UFC since joining. Um, on the other hand, smiling Sam Alvey, always smiling. Doesn't matter what's going on. Uh, lost his last three fights. He's on a slump. This dude, I think he's on the fringe of being out of the UFC personally. Doesn't have enough activity, always backing up against the cage, and he just relies on his left hand to get rocky or get that knockout. Uh, in this fight, I see Span being way too much. I see him pressuring him, backing him up against the fence. And I, if Span doesn't get him out of there, I say easy 30-27 decision. So uh, for this fight, the odds are Span is minus 410. So he's a four to one favorite. If you do pick Sam Alvey, he's plus three thirty. So you pick up three points there. But uh, in the curtain jerker, I'm going with Ryan Span, Superman. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to echo that. I'm going with Ryan Span myself. Uh, definitely like both nicknames in this one: Superman versus uh, Smile and Sam Alvey. Smile a, a pretty good nickname, by the way. But um, anyways, just looking at you know the facts here, you know Ryan Span. From the UFC Contender Series, he's reeled off, you know, three wins since he's been in the UFC. I don't, does that win that he has included in his three-fight win streak? Does that include the Contender Series? Uh, I'm not, I'm not too I, sure, but I don't believe that that counts as a UFC. Okay, win, there you go. So, yes, since uh, coming into the UFC, he's three and zero. So he he's already assured everybody that he belongs there, and he's fighting a guy in Sam Alvey who's been in the UFC for quite some time, and he's fought. You know, almost you know everybody that there is kind of in his division, other than the the top end guys. But uh, for me, this one is lined perfectly. Uh, not much to think about here. Uh, might even throw Ryan Span in a parlay uh, the day of the fight. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, I got Ryan Span here too. Uh, ever since Alvi's moved up to light heavy, he hasn't been the same. He's a little bit flat footed, always getting put on his back, getting pushed back. Uh, Ryan Span. Uh, I'm going to go with um, three and a half rounds, Ryan Span. It's kind of interesting looking at his, his stats in terms of the way he's reeled off some victories. He has 11 subs. That's, that's pretty yeah. impressive. So we he's might a, see long, he's a long guy, so once he gets you down, I mean, he, he suffocates you uh, at that height. So, yeah, I, I see him taking care of Alvi pretty easily. It's, it's KO or bust for Alvi, and I don't see the KO coming. Yeah, it's not... Yeah, so up next, up next, we're going to the featherweight division. We got Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell. It's a good nickname. Uh, yeah, good nickname. Uh, and he's fighting Charles Boston Strong Rosa. Now, Charles Rosa coming in with a 12-3 and record. Bryce Mitchell, a 12-0 and record. Uh, Bryce Mitchell, an ATT alum, uh, most notably known for... Uh, tearing his nuts in half, his ball in half with a power tool. Uh, pretty it's pretty gruesome story. It's there's crazy interviews about it. If if that interests you, then y'all should check it out. But yeah, this guy's wild from Arkansas. Um, he lost in the semifinals of that tough season to Brad Katona, who ended up winning that season of tough, but recently got cut from the UFC. Um, this dude. 3-0 in the UFC. Uh, he's young. He's hungry. 25 years old. Charles Rose, on the other hand, comes in at 33 years old. Uh, like I said, in the nickname Boston Strong, so he's a Boston guy. Uh, both guys coming off impressive submission wins. Uh, Rosa actually got an armbar off of Manny Bermudez, and Manny Bermudez is a, is a young, touted Brazilian jiu-jitsu prospect. So for Charles Rosa to sub him actually says a lot about his ground game. 
Rosa's uh, two losses in his last five do come to good competition. Yair Rodriguez and Hurricane Shane, which I would say both are better competition than Bryce Mitchell. But Bryce Mitchell, I, I like what he's been doing. He's hungry. He's coming off a twister win against Matt Sells, who's uh, Dominic Cruz's protege. So I think both guys do their best their best work on the floor. We could see just a striking match because of the that them uh, balancing each other out on the ground. And I'm going to go with Doug Nasty here as a short favorite as far as uh, for show purposes. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree uh, with the, the UFC expert again here. I'm going to have to take Bryce Mitchell. Um, and, I, and I do think that they are going to, you know, keep this this fight on their feet. Uh, more so for Mitchell. You know, he's a guy who's kind of been active on social media lately. He's you know, trying to build his following and whatnot. So I think he's going to try and make a splash knowing that all eyes are on him. So I think he's going to try and keep the fight um, on the on the on their feet, excuse me. And just to talk about the line a little bit, I think this is appropriately lined. We still don't know too much about Bryce Mitchell. I think he should be the favorite. He's the more talented fighter from what we've seen, but uh, to be a much more steep favorite than what he is right now, or a steeper favorite than what he is right now, I think would be a little much. So the minus one fifty five as it is right now could change throughout the week, but definitely like that line, just taking a straight up fight. So I'm going to go with Bryce Mitchell. Uh, should be a good one. Hopefully we see a, a fight on the on their feet. You know what, Roland? Speaking of the line, it actually has changed today. Uh, oh, good. Mitchell What's has moved movement? to minus one seventy now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Money um, coming in on Mitchell. People like Mitchell. Yeah. I. I. Uh, I like Mitchell. He's one of the fighters that I'm actually looking forward to. Uh, every podcast he's been on, I've really enjoyed his talk. He's a very country guy, very humble guy. Um, as far as skill set goes, they're they're gonna uh, negate each other on the ground, you know. Um, and I think Mitchell's a little bit more dog standing. Um, something just of note. This week he was asked wider black shorts and he said camo. So yeah. you gotta like a, a personality like that. So for podcast purposes, I got Mitchell. All right, all right. Uh, up next, moving to the welterweight division, we got Vicente coming in at thirteenth rank. Vicente, the silent assassin, Luque, seventeen seven and one record, and he's coming against Nico, the hybrid price with a fourteen and three record. Now, this fight is a rematch. Um, this fight took place in 2017. Uh, Vicente Luque did win that fight by Bravo Choke, which is a pretty rare choke to see. Uh, since that time, Price has improved. Price still the older guy. He's got two years on, on Vicente Luque. Um, Price is unorthodox, man. He's, he's yeah. crazy. His, his last win, he's coming off an upkick win against James Vick. Now, James oh. Vick is like 6'5", and this dude off his back upkicked him and knocked him out. Or James uh, Vick. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't, you, don't, I mean, you talk about tall man's defense, but when a dude's lying flat on his back, I mean, come on, bro. So Price has been alternating wins and losses his last four fights. Like I said earlier, though, he's improved drastically. He's got knockout power from wherever. Luke's uh, fighting style, I know th- that war that he had against Mike Perry, awesome fight, rock'em, sock'em, robot style. Yeah. But Luke is Luke is a lot cleaner of a striker, yeah. but he his defense is terrible. So he does take hits to get hit. I see uh, Nico Price as a stronger fighter in here. Uh, the line for this one, we got Vicente Luque at minus 275 and Nico Price coming in at plus 235. So I'm going to take a stab at the underdog here and try and pick up two points. I'm going to go with Nico Price to get the upset win. All right. All right. Well, 
even though you know, I just referred to you as the USC expert, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I'm, I'm going to go Vicente Luque here. I, I think you mentioned it. He, this fight's going to more than likely take place standing up, and, and he's a, the cleaner striker, and, and usually that's kind of where I go in these fights. Uh, Nico Price, enough can't be said about the improvement that he's made over his last couple of fights, especially since that loss that you highlighted to Luque in 2017. Uh, Price, fun guy to watch. I, I definitely tune in every time he's fighting. Uh, but I'm going to have to go with Luque here, even though I, I don't think he won his last fight. I'll just throw that out there. It doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. But uh, I think he's going to win this fight. All right. Now, uh, Nico Price, you know, he got a, he got himself a nice highlight reel. You know, he can finish the fight from wherever. Uh, Vicente Luke, his last loss, you said, was Stephen Thompson, right? Yeah, he he's actually coming in off a loss. So he beat Perry. He had rattled off six wins in oh, a row. Perry. But he's coming off a yeah. UD loss to, to Stephen Thompson. Yeah, and, and, and losing to Thompson is, you know, it's always going to be a point loss mostly. I don't yeah. think Thompson's a knockout artist for any any reason. But um, I, I'm going to go Luke here. I think uh, he's just a little more polished and he's not chinny. So I don't think he's going to get rocked by Nico. So I'm going to go uh, Vicente Luque here. All right. All right. Well, let's move on. Up next. Now we're moving on to the preliminary card. So this is the first fight on ESPN. Uh, those first fights that we talked about are taking place on ESPN+. Plus. So the first fight is in the middleweight division. We got Uriah Primetime Hall plus 105 underdog. So short underdog to Ronaldo Jacare Sosa. All right. So coming into this fight, I mean, we got the veteran, Jacare, 40 years old, Uriah Hall, 35. Uh, Uriah Hall is a tough uh, vet. He was in there in the finale against Kelvin Gassman. Um, he lost that one. His last loss was to Paulo Costa, which, I mean, nobody blames you for losing to Paulo Costa. Racer. Nope. Yeah, he's on a two-fight win streak since then. So he beat uh, Cara de Zapata, which shoe face, and Carlos Jr. his last fight. That's a good nickname. Um, he... Ever since moving to, to Fortis MMA, which is a camp in Dallas that has Jeff Neal and the Valley's own Carlos Diego, um, Uriah Hall has turned it around, man. He's been more explosive. He's been fighting with a game plan. And for this camp, I know ESPN did a little special on him, and he's been living in the gym. Yeah, I saw he, that. He eats his meals. He sleeps on an air mattress in the gym. Uh, the dude's in charge of the gym. And through this coronavirus thing, I mean, he's just in the gym the whole time. So... I like his mindset coming into this fight. I like that he's the underdog coming into this fight. Now with Jacare, we're definitely going to have to worry about the takedown. Jacare wants to get the fight to the ground. If he gets the fight to the ground, I think that he can win it pretty easily after that, uh, whether it's by submission or via ground and pound. Jacare himself, though, has been slipping. He's coming off back-to-back -back losses to Hermanson and, and Jan Blakowicz. Uh, both decisions, but... The level of competition for Jacare has been taking a taking a dip because he's used to fighting all the elite guys at the top of the division. So his last one was against Weidman. Uh, I know, I mean, anybody can touch Weidman's face and knock him out at this point, especially if Jacare is knocking him out. So for this one, I'm going to take the underdog again, short underdog, but I'm going to go with Uriah Hall and Fortis, Fortis MMA to, to keep their, their year rolling. Uh I like the fact that, you know, Hall's fighting out of Texas and, you know, Carlos Diego's fighting there in that same gym. But I'm going to have to go with Jacare here. The the heavy, I think he's a heavy favorite. He's a short favorite. 
or short favorite, excuse me. I'm looking at the wrong line, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Jacare here. I think he's going to get the fight to the ground and, and just control it from there. Uh, Uriah Hall, fight, uh, exciting fighter. He, he looks like he, he might have turned around things after uh, switching camps, but I don't think that's going to be enough. I think Jacare, I, I know Ben alluded to his competition dipping a little bit, but I mean, his last two losses were to Jack Hermanson and, and John Blockowicz. So, I mean, that's not necessarily like low competition per se and Jacare's up there in age so those guys are probably just on on an upper trajectory compared to where Jacare's going so I think he's still got enough to handle Uriah Hall though so I'm gonna go with Jacare here I'm right there with you Roland I got Jacare by sub here I think he will get the takedown on Uriah and uh he'll finish him there with the sub and the records are Jacare's 26 and 8. Uriah Hall's coming in at 15 and 9. So, not the best record for Uriah Hall. But, like we mentioned, lately with the camp change, he's been surging. So, let's see if he could keep it up. Um, up next, our only nice. women's fight of the night. So, we're going to the women's strawweight division and we're going to Carla the Cookie Monster, <laughs> Esparza. 15 and 6 <laughs> overall record. Uh, she's a short favorite for this fight, minus 155. And she's fighting the eighth-ranked Michelle, the Karate Hottie Watterson. Uh, she's got a 17-7 and seven record. So both girls' record about the same. Uh, we know Carla Esparza, prior champ. Now she's ranked seventh in the division. Michelle Watterson ranked eighth. So a pretty even matchup as far as the rankings go. Um, Esparza's coming off back-to-back decision wins. She's a decision machine for the most part. Uh, she took down a young prospect, Alexa Grasso, out of Mexico. Had some height, but she completely dominated her, took her down, stalled her out. Uh, a lot of positioning. Like I said, decision machine, boring fight. If you need to go to the bathroom, this is the fight to definitely do it on. Both girls' decision machines. As far as Watterson goes, she took a big step up in competition her last fight, fighting Joanna Champion, and that didn't go well. She got pretty battered up, lost the unanimous decision. She's also a decision machine, though. Her last five fights for Watterson all gone to decision. So don't expect to finish in this one. I know Watterson is a fan favorite due to her Instagram. She's pretty active on Instagram and some of her her workouts, her her open her open workouts uh, prior to the events. She uh, she does some crazy kicks and stuff. But in this one, I think Esparza is just going to take her down or put her up against the fence, neutralize her, grind on her. I don't expect much damage to be done, but I do expect uh, Carla, the Cookie Monster. To, to be all over Watterson and stall her out. So I'm going to take the short favorite here, and I'm going to go with Esparza. Yep, I'm going to have to agree there. I'm going Esparza, not thinking too much about this one. I, I put a little bit more weight on Esparza's uh, last two victories as compared to what Watterson was doing before she jumped up and, and fought Joanna. And sticking on that point, I thought it was a little concerning um, how different or you can tell the talent was there between Joanna and, and Michelle Watterson. Kind of made me rethink where Michelle's trajectory is in terms of where she can end up potentially in her UFC fighting career. I don't think she's ever going to be a title contender. I think that loss to Joanna kind of proved that. And I think Esparza is just a little bit better of a fighter and does things just a little bit better than Watterson in almost every category. So for that reason, I'm going to stick with Esparza. Yeah. Normally I would have said Esparza, reason being Watterson's had trouble with wrestling in the past, but I think she's an evolved fighter. I think she's going to keep Esparza away, not let the takedown happen. And I'm going to go with Karate Hottie on this one. Nice. By decision. 
Yeah, she, and a uh, little fact, she's been an underdog in her last six fights. Now she's three and two in her last five, so she's been profitable. And like you said, if she can keep her distance and get the leg kicks going to keep her distance, if it stays standing, I do see her winning. She definitely has the edge standing up, but I just see Esparza grinding her out. So that's why I went with Esparza. Fair play. Yeah, so up next, up next, we're going to the heavyweight division, the big boys, the big boys. We got Fabricio Vai Caballo, <laughs> Verdum, coming in with a 23-8 and record, and he's a 3-1 to favorite in this fight. He's unranked, and he's fighting Alexi, the boa constrictor Olenek, who's the 12th-ranked heavyweight. Uh, Alexi Olenek has a 58-13-1 record, so he's gotten a lot of fights in. Uh, Vai Caballo means go horse, just for anybody who was wondering. So uh, Verdum is Brazilian. Um, first fight since 2018. He got popped for a banned substance. Um, he appealed it. They took down his suspension from two years to 10 months. He was talking about UFC, release me, release me. He wanted to go fight for somebody else because he said he didn't purposely take the, the substance. He ended up winning his appeal, so he's back. He is coming off a KO loss to Alex Volkov in, in March of 2018, which we said was his last fight. Uh, this matchup against Alexi Olenek is a great matchup for him. Uh, Verdun comes in decorated, decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, four-time world champion, two-time Abu Dhabi champion. He was the first guy to sub Fedor by triangle, ending Fedor's 28-fight win streak back in strike force. Now, this was in 2010, but Verdun has been around I know I mentioned that Olenek had 58 wins, 13 losses. Verdum's been around. He's been doing it for a while. He's favored for a good reason. Olenek, out of Olenek's 58 wins, 46 of them are by subs. So that's over 80% of his wins by subs. And Fabricio Verdum has just never been submitted in his career. So I don't see it happening here. He's rightfully the favorite. And I'm going to go with Verdum. I'm going to go with Vai Caballo. Yeah, you're not going to get much disagreement on me on this one. Verdum, legend in the game, has had a little bit of time off, but he, he's back and he has an opponent that kind of fits his his game. So uh, I'm going to go with him on this one. I, I was reading Olenek's going to be driving from Miami to Jacksonville kind of as a way to av avoid contracting COVID. So good on him. I don't know how that's going to affect him come fight night, the, the long drive, but uh just based on the way he fights and the way he matches up with Verdum, I'm just going to have to go with uh, the favorite here. One thing Roland likes to talk about is pathways to victory. And yeah. um, as you mentioned, Roland, there's not really a pathway to victory for Alexi Olenek here. His his game is on the ground, but Verdum's way more skilled on the ground. Yeah. I got Fabricio Verdum all day, all night here. Yeah, there's a fight that's definitely probably going to end up taking place on the feet just because he doesn't want to go to the ground with Verdum, and Verdum has the advantage on the feet. So we're, we're all on Verdum, rightfully so, at the price that he is. But Roland, speaking about driving to the fights, here's a guy who knows something about driving to the fights. The main event to the ESPN card in the welterweight division, Donald the Cowboy Cerrone coming in. Donald the Cowboy Cerrone coming with a 36-14 and 14 record against Anthony Showtime Pettis, 22-10 and 10 record. Now, Anthony Pettis is a slight favorite, minus 140. Cerrone, the comeback on him is plus 120. Now, Cerrone did say he was going to drive his RV, park it in Jacksonville, and try and be on all three events this coming week. <laughs> so, 
he 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 also is driving up there and we know cowboy man he's always down to fight he always steps us on short notice i'm not worried about this pandemic he was never supposed to be on the original card they just got him in out of nowhere yeah. uh, this dude's always ready to fight you know he trains at his ranch his ranch he always has access to his ranch he bunks fighters at his ranch so he always has sparring partners training partners this is a rematch fight so anthony pettis Anthony Pettis did beat him uh, back 2013. Uh, two kicks to the body, put Cowboy down, TKO win for Pettis. Now, that was right before he made his run to the championship stardom, Wheaties boxes, all of the above. Uh, this Anthony Pettis, has, has he's been losing fights lately. Uh, that, that one Superman hook that he hit Wonder Boy with definitely shot him up into the, in, into the rankings and was he's a reason why. Fight. Yeah, he was losing that fight, but that's the reason why he got fights with people like Tony yeah. Ferguson and chances like that. Obviously, that he lost. Cowboy, since they last fought, 17-9 record in the UFC. Uh, this will be Cowboy's 35th walk in the octagon, so that's record-breaking. He'll have the he'll have the most. I know uh, Jim Miller's behind him, and Jim Miller still is active. Or Jeremy Stevens, I'm sorry, who's fighting later Jim on the card and, and younger. So for this fight, the rematch, man... Uh, Cowboys lost three in a row. I don't see Cowboy losing four in a row. Those three that he lost to, McGregor, Ferguson, and Gaethje, I don't see Pettis on, on that level. I see Pettis as a quicker fighter, but he won't be able to put Cowboy out. So I'm going to go with the dog in this one. I'm going to take Cowboy at plus 120 to get revenge on the rematch. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm first and foremost, before I even get into the take, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Cowboy. I love his fighting style. I, I love his psyche, how he's always willing to let you into his psyche also. Um, but uh, for this fight, you know, I'm leaning Pettis just primarily because I do think that Cerrone is towards the end of his career. He, he mentioned in that interview with Brett Okamoto, we'll, we'll touch on a little bit um, as we get on with this talk, but uh, he, he mentioned that he can see the end uh, the end of his career in sight and he already is having those kind of thoughts and those feelings and you know you always have to question kind of what guy's going to show up in the octagon that night uh when you when you're fighting against Cerrone so I think Pettis he's been losing a lot I think we've he's kind of leveled out and we've also seen kind of where he fits in the kind of the pantheon of, of good fighters or great fighters in his division and in the UFC so um but that said though I think he's a younger guy Ben mentioned he's a quicker guy and I think he's also hungry for a victory. Uh, he, he, this is a make-or-break fight for Anthony Pettis, I think. I, I know he's going to have other options because of his age. He's 33. But as far as the UFC and his career and what he wants to be thought of, this is equally as much of a uh, make-or-break fight for him as it is for Cerrone. Because I still think Cerrone is probably going to get his flowers and be able to retire either way. But Pettis, this is loser leaves town. So I think he's going to come in with that mentality and, and get the dub. Yeah. Um, like you said, Roman, there was that interview this week where Donald said that Donald showed up against um, Connor. Yep. And you talked about that he could see the light at the end of the tunnel. And Dana's always said, if you're a fighter, make sure you don't have one foot out. You want to have yeah. both feet in. I kind of feel like Donald's got a foot out already. Exactly. And um, because of that, I think Donald shows up and not Cowboy. And I love Cowboy. I love this persona. I love the fighter. Everything he's done for the UFC. A big fan. But I, I'm going to go Pettis. I think Pettis is in the right mindset here. He needs to win. He knows he needs to win. And um, I think he gets it done. 
I want to say he is going to stop Cerrone uh, in two. Yeah, and just to touch back on, on Donald, I, I also don't think he's given himself enough time in between fights. And he also touched on that in, in saying that, you know, a lot of people are, are talking about that and have constantly brought that up with him. But, I mean, you can't argue with what's been happening to him lately um, as far as, you know, what happened with the Connor thing. It, that looks, those shots that he took, you have to wonder if those would normally have knocked him out or, you know, done as much damage had he, you know, taken the right amount of time to rest. So just throwing that out there, I think that's another um, factor in this fight. Yeah, I know you all mentioned that, he had, like he said, Donald showed up and not Cowboy. We, ju- we shouldn't call him Donald. We should just call him Cowboy because Donald doesn't sound like he should be in the octagon, just like he said. But um, it it is make or break time. Pettis coming off two losses to CDF and to Ferguson. A little tidbit, Donald Cerrone, the last time he had his run, it was when he had his kid. Well, he's about to have another kid. Yeah. So they're pregnant with a kid. Check this out. The kid's name. You know his his first son is named. Oh, Dan. yeah. I already know. Yeah. So this one's Riot. Riot. Yeah, I like that. Kid's going to be called Riot. Dude, he's going to be going hard in kinder. Riot. Riot. Yeah. You better stop it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Props to Cerrone, though. I, 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 I think love that this, the persona. Yeah, this is make or break for Cerrone, man. I think that he really needs this. I, I don't think that he gets beat twice by the same guy. So that's why I picked Cerrone. But let's get on to the pay-per-view portion of the card. Here we so, go. And, and a very controversial fighter, Greg the Inhaler, Greg the Prince of War Hardy, uh, coming in with a 5-2 and two record. And he's actually a 2-1 to one favorite against Jorgen de Castro. Six and oh, who so Greg Hardy, Jorgen de Castro. I'm just playing. Hey, you say who, but we're all gonna know who Jorgen is after to, after after Saturday. <laughs> um, so first thing that stood out to me that with this fight, Greg Hardy shouldn't be two to one. Um, after what he's shown, I, I he has gotten better. We know that he has uh those two no contests, one due to or actually one was a disqualification, the no contest was due to him. Uh, taking those in- inhaler hits in the middle of the second round, but Jorgen De Castro, man, he's he's knockout, knockout. Both of these guys are knockout, so somebody is going down. I just I, I don't see what in what world Greg Hardy should be a two to one favorite. Obviously, bo- both of these guys made their way to the UFC through the Dana White's Contender Series. Both guys getting knockouts on Dana White's Contender Series. Um, De Castro coming off a KO win of Justin Taffa. I know Justin Taffa is not a household name, but everybody knows who Mark Hunt is, yep. and Justin Taffa is his protege. Yep. I mean, that's that's who was supposed to follow Mark Hunt's uh, footsteps, and Jorgen De Castro walked through the man. Uh, something interesting about De Castro, he's actually a security guard in Massachusetts for high schools and a full-time UFC fighter, so he's still not a full-time UFC fighter he has he has he's working two jobs he's been begging for Hardy man we know the last person who begged for Hardy was Adams uh and he got his ass whooped eventually got cut from the UFC started crying yeah he did start crying so for this one I'm, I'm going with DeCastro I I'm trying to pick up points I'm trying to play this competition that we play um DeCastro's uh Plus 170. So, I mean, I'm almost picking up two points. Yeah. I'm going to go with DeCastro to get the knockout. I'm going to say early second round knockout for DeCastro. 
Yeah, I, I'm taking I'm taking my first underdog of the night, and this is primarily just because the line. I think Ben talked about it a little much, or not a little much. Excuse me, talked about it a little bit in his piece. Uh, I, I don't think. Greg Hardy should be that big of a favorite considering how both of these guys essentially they, they fight the same way. We know there's going to be an exciting finish. And I, I think really that the line is, is lined because of namesake because a lot of people know who Greg Hardy is and, and this and that. And I think that's going to drive uh, some more of the action come or during fight week in terms of how the, um, the handle uh, takes place in terms of uh, the handle being how much money is wagered on each side or each fighter, excuse me. So I think the line might grow throughout the week. So kind of sit on this one and wait for it to grow. Um, I'm For the show's purposes, we're locking it in at one, uh, plus 170. So uh, that's what I'm taking for the purpose of this uh, podcast, Jorgen DeCastro. Yeah, I'm going to be a little disrespectful here. What is this fight even doing on the main card? It's well, very hardy. This is, this is the fight I'm not looking forward to. I was going to bring that up, actually, because we just talked about two guys who are legends in the sport in Cerrone and Pettis, but that is on ESPN. So yeah. you want the, the guys with notoriety, you want them fighting on ESPN. Now, Hardy, every time that he's been on a pay-per-view card, he's been a part of the pay-per-view. Yeah. Hey, at least this time he's not the co-main event, man. Yeah. Okay. So- and there's always been something somewhat controversial going on or exciting, so uh, rightfully is, so. This is my restroom break fight. Um but for the podcast's sake, I do got to pick somebody, and I'm going to pick Hardy. I think he's going to have a burst right away. The gas tank's going to go out, and you're going to see Hardy pressing the Castro against the cage for three rounds. Decision, Hardy. Hopefully, I don't that doesn't put me to sleep. Decision, and actually, by by going with the decision, because the over under set at one and a half. So if you're going for the decision, I mean. That should be easy. Two minutes and 30 seconds of the second round, and, yep. and you're good. Um, Hardy, though, a lot more UFC experience than DeCastro. Hardy had five fights in 2019. Obviously, yep. he didn't win them all, and he's, he is coming off a loss, but he stepped up on short notice in less than a month and fought a top five top five heavyweight. So, yeah, I just see it as a slugfest, and at, at, at those odds, I'm going to take the underdog. So let's get on to the next fight. So with the next fight, this one should be a banger also. Featherweight division. We got Calvin, the Boston finisher, Cater, coming in at with a 20-4 and four record. And he is a minus 220, 235 favorite up against Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens, 28-17 and 17 record. Now, we talked about Jeremy Stevens as making a ton of walks to the UFC. It, felt like, it feels like he's been in the UFC since he was like 15. Um, but at this point, he's, to me, he's more of a gatekeeper. Uh, if you want to be a top 10, top five guy, you're definitely going to have to go through Jeremy Stevens and he's going to give you a tough fight. He's on a three fight losing streak. He lost to Yair Rodriguez his last fight. I know that there was controversy with that one. They went to Mexico. Remember he got his eye poked in the first minute of the fight and it ended up getting called a no contest and they fought two months later. Um, power for days, but that's pretty much it. It's gonna he's he's gonna go for broke. He's gonna swing looping hooks. He's gonna try and catch Cater. Cater comes in as a technical guy, man. I mean, this guy throws straight punches, bunch of combos, one twos. Boston dude, we know Boston. Boston is known for their boxing. He's coming off some controversy in his last fight too. He was fighting Zabit uh, Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Who the, the big Russian prospect, and they were supposed to fight in Boston, and they were supposed to be the main event. So now all main events, even though they're non-title fights, all five-round fights. 
So they were going to be doing a five-round fight in Boston. Fight got scrapped, and the fight got changed to Russia, where they were the co-main event. So it went from five rounds to three rounds. It went from Cater's backyard to Zabit's backyard, and you're not going to beat a Russian in Russia unless you finish them. So he did lose a decision, although I did think that he deserved to lose a decision. He started coming on in the second round. Zabit looked to gas. He dominated the third round. Had it been a five-round fight, I would have had Cater winning, yeah. and he was a dog in that fight. Here he's a he's a short no not a short favorite but like we said minus two thirty five, with Jeremy Stevens only having a shot at knockout to win. I really like Cater in this fight. I like him to get back on track. It's actually my, I, I feel the most comfortable about Calvin Cater winning on this card. So say that, I got Calvin Cater. Nice. I, I like that pick a lot myself. I, I like Calvin Cater to win this one. A little heathen, definitely a fan favorite. He's been a, a favorite of mine watching over the years. He always comes ready to fight, ready to bang, uh, win or lose. And and that's kind of the the mentality that his fighting style brings, right? You just have to be ready to go in and accept whatever result comes out of, of what happens. And that's kind of just going in and standing and banging in the pocket. And, you know, some nights you, you end up on top and, and others, uh, as we've seen lately for Stevens, he, he ends out uh, ends up either getting outmatched by a, a, a classier a striker or, you know, it ends in a knockout or something like that. But uh, Ben alluded to it, path to victories. We, we've been talking about that throughout this whole time. Uh, Stevens only has one, and that one path that he has, the guy that he's fighting just so happens to be better at that than he is. So I think that's going to play into Cater's hands, and he's going to win this one uh, soundly. I think it's going to be a 3-0 to zero or a 2-1. to one. Um, I got Calvin as well. I think all three of us took him. Um, Jeremy Stevens loves to stand and bang, but like Roland said, Calvin's better. Uh, he's younger. Um, like Ben mentioned, this is a beat fight. Had that been a five-round fight, that thing's going towards Calvin's way. And the only other loss he has is Renato Moicano, who's also at the top of the featherweights. So those are respectable losses. I think I think we're going to see Calvin win this one. And I know Jeremy yeah. needs I win bad, but it's going to be Calvin that night. Both guys do have decision losses to Zabit on their record recently, so... I mean, MMA math, they both lost to him, so we'll see. But, yeah, Cater should get it done. Uh, up next, back to the heavyweight division, man. This one should be a banger. This might be my favorite card or favorite fight on the card. Yeah, someone's going night-night right here. Francis the Predator. Naganu, 14-3 and three record. He's the number two ranked heavyweight. He's fighting number six ranked Jarzinho Biggie Boy. Rosenstrike coming with a 10-0 record. Uh, this fight, they got Nagano as a minus 275 favorite, almost 3-1. to one. I mean, Nagano has been ready. He's been waiting. Feels like he needs a title shot. Been waiting for a fight just to stay active. Rosenstrike coming off that uh, Alistair Overeem win where he split his lip. Was losing most of the fight. Did get the finish in the last 10 seconds. Both guys would highlight real finishes over Overeem. And, I mean, Overeem, Overeem is no joke. Francis Naganu, a lot more UFC experience than Rosenstrike. But we know that this fight ain't touching the ground. We know that both guys are going to swing. And I do think that Rosenstrike has the power to knock Naganu out. However, I feel like the, he's going to be fighting with his back to the cage. I feel like it's going to be Naganu pressuring him, making him move backwards, being the bully. So for this fight, I'm, I'm not going to make it hard, man. I'm going to go with the Predator. I'm going to go with Naganu. I feel that Naganu is going to be a champ. 
if not by the end of 2020, early 2021, I think he's going to be our next heavyweight champ. Uh, give me Francis Naganu to get a knockout win. Uh, this doesn't see the second round. First round finish. Francis Naganu, as I said when Ben was introducing this fight, I, I think this is probably my favorite fight on the card just because of uh, the potential outcome. We know one thing's going to happen. Someone's going to leave with their lights out or someone's going to get knocked out in, in, in this fight. So I'm going Francis Naganu. I, I think... He has a lot on the line by taking this fight. Uh, I think that UFC's kind of mishandled him a little bit by the amount of time they've kept him on the shelf. But at the same time, they probably didn't want to throw him out too early and have him risk it. This is just, hey, I've been on the shelf a long time. I'm ready to take whoever, so let me fight. And that's kind of how this came about. I, I got to give Naganu props for taking this fight. He could have been... Uh, like some of these other guys in the division and just hold out and hold out for a certain person, not going to get into names. But Naganu, like I said with the cater thing, uh, Rosenstrike has kind of one thing to do, and, and that's knock you out. And Naganu, that's not the guy that you want to stand and bang with. So I'm going with Naganu in this one. I think he's improved kind of as a striker throughout his time in the UFC. He's not so much just throwing those loopy, loopy punches, and he's actually added some boxing uh, to his regimen. So... I, I like uh, Francis Naganu a lot in this one, uh, and Rosenstrike. I, I think he's a guy who was losing his last fight for for twenty four uh, and twenty four minutes and fifty five seconds uh, before he got that knockout, an amazing knockout on Overeem. But he was losing much of his last fight, and I, I think Naganu is gonna gonna pounce on him. Yeah, I got Francis as well. I think it's gonna be a knockout. Um, Francis boxing has come up. It's no longer those big punches. When I could tell was when he fought JDS, who was a, a superior boxer. He was right there with him, hitting him. The knockout on Kane in, in a few seconds. Um, and like Roland mentioned, Rosenstrike, if that bell rings, he's losing that fight. I mean, I don't think he went around in that fight up until the last second when he got that knockout. Devastating knockout. Tore the lip up of Overeem, but... I got Francis here. I just think he's going to knock him out in the second. Um, un unlike Ben, though, Ben thinks uh, Francis is the future champion. I don't see him as a future champion. I think Stipe can still negate him as far as his wrestling goes. And I think if DC wins, DC can also out-wrestle Ngannou. And we've seen Ngannou have issues with wrestlers in the past. So DC will win and retire, though. He won't fight Ngannou. Yeah, he's going to win and retire. Well, if, if, if that's the route, then I, I just the only way I see Ngannou winning if he doesn't have to face Stipe then. Yeah, so. the thing the thing for Ngannou, like like Justin mentioned, I mean, he beat JDS. He beat Cain Velasquez, arguably two of the greatest heavyweights of all time. You know, those guys were running yeah. the heavyweight division for almost a decade. And then Curtis Blades, who's the other new young blood with Ngannou. Top five guys. Three wins, guys. All those three fights combined, less than two minutes of total octagon time. So, I mean, this guy's not wasting time. He's going in there, getting the job done. 45 seconds, 26 seconds, one minute. I mean, yeah, don't blink. You can go to the bathroom after two minutes, all right? <laughs> Watch the first two minutes of the fight, then you can go to the bathroom. So, yeah, everybody's on the Ganu. Yeah. Uh, he should win. So up next, co-main event of the evening. Here we go. Co-main event, we got the champ, champ, Olympic gold medalist in the Bantamweight division, Henry Cejudo, coming in as a minus 220 favorite against Dominic 
the Dominator Cruz first Cejudo Henry the Messenger. I do like that nickname, the Messenger. I don't like a lot of things about Cejudo, but he I do like the nickname. He hasn't changed his nickname. He has like no, five the, nicknames though, like the Triple C or Cringe King, Champ, oh. Champ, Cringe King. Uh, yeah, he, he hasn't changed it yet. Okay, okay. That's too good of a nickname to change, man. Future Energy yeah. Champ. Henry Cejudo, <laughs> Henry Cejudo, man, the ultimate competitor. Like I said, gold medalist uh, in freestyle wrestling um, in the Olympics. Then he beats Mighty Mouse. Who beats Mighty Mouse? Nobody beats Mighty Mouse. He beats Mighty Mouse in a rematch. Uh, got schooled yeah. the first time, came back, got, was able to get some takedowns. Uh, he was finished in the first fight against Mighty Mouse. Uh, then moves after beating Mighty Mouse, moves up. Or no, actually, TJ Dillashaw comes down to fight yes. him in that division. Yes. Uh, TJ Dillashaw pops for steroids. Cejudo still handled him inside of a minute. Then Cejudo moves up and beats Marlon Moraes for the title. And now here we are with arguably uh, the greatest bantamweight of all time. Dominic Cruz, who only yeah. has one loss in that division in his history uh, against Triple C, arguably, well, we could say he's on his on the path to being uh, the best Bantamweight of all time. To me, I know a lot of people have been saying this is going to be an interesting fight due to Dominic Cruz's footwork and his movement. Listen, the guy's been out for close to four years now. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be getting this fight, but due to the circumstances that we're in, here we are. He's a good right? talker, too. He talked his way into it. Yeah. So, I, honestly, I see Triple C, the more explosive guy. Dominic Cruz doesn't have the power to knock him out. Can he win a decision? Maybe he can win a decision. But I just feel that Triple C is going to have his way. I mean, this guy wasn't ready to fight Corey Sanhagen. Dominic Cruz said he couldn't fight Corey Sanhagen due to an injury. Now, all of a sudden, he wasn't ready for a three-round fight. And now, all of a sudden, he's ready for a five-round fight. I'm not buying it. I know Sahudo's coming off that shoulder surgery that's kept him out a year, but Sahudo keeps rolling. Give me Sahudo uh, as a two to one favorite. I, I think that's a pretty safe pick. I, I like Henry Sahudo in this fight. I think it, it kind of matches up well for him, but I, I'm going to have to go with Dominic Cruz here. You, you mentioned it at the beginning of your talk. I do think the footwork and, you know, the way that he kind of approaches the striking game coming with, through different angles and kind of in and out, in and out, kind of keeping you thinking and keeping your timing off, which I think is the main thing. And if Cruz can can do that, I, I still think, despite the time off, I still think he's a little bit more of a polished striker than Henry Cejudo is right now. Although I will say I was super impressed with Cejudo and his performance striking-wise against Marlon Moraes, who I thought was going to beat Cejudo knowing that that fight was probably going to take place on their feet. So Cejudo, big props for him for the improvements that he's made, especially in his striking game. But I, I think he's going to come up against the classier fighter and Dominic Cruz. And I know Ben touched on the ring rust. I used to be the same way. I'm not trying to change anybody's philosophy. But lately, these guys who've been taking time off, I think this is interesting. Maybe we should come back and, and fact check this later. But I, I think these guys have had some success after the long layoffs most recently. I, I know we touched on Masvidal. He was out for two years, and that seemed to work for him. So maybe the layoff works for uh, Dominic Cruz here. I know that's not always apples to apples, but it uh, might work. But taking the, the short underdog here and also just because I need to make up some points. <laughs> Yeah, here, um, we like we always like to talk about pathways to victory. Henry Cejudo has more pathways to victory. He's a better wrestler. His stand-up 
maybe maybe the footwork is not as good as Dominic's, but it, it's good footwork. It's it's been better, and he does have knockout power. But none of that matters for me because uh-huh. I am biased here. Dominic Cruz is one of my guys. I can't choose against him. Throw that all everything I said out the window. I got Dominic Cruz winning this, and that's a bias pick. But oh well. Yeah, as far as ring rust too, Dominic Cruz has been out two years, came back and uh, reclaimed his belt from TJ Dillashaw. Now this is a little bit of a longer break, and if he can do that for a second time, I mean, he would definitely legitimize his place as the GOAT of the division. Absolutely. I don't see it coming. Like Roland said, Henry Cejudo has opened up with his striking. Olympic wrestler came into the UFC wrestling, wrestling, and wrestling. Obviously saw that that wasn't going to get him. Uh, the notoriety and the quickest path to the title that he wanted. So he switched it up. And since switching it up, I mean, he's finishing people. He finished Marais. He finished Dillashaw. Stuff that we would have never thought was possible before from Sehudo with that style that he came into the UFC with. So since switching over to that karate style, uh, is definitely giving him more dynamics and his striking. And that's part of the reason why I'm going with him. I don't think that after three years, Dominic Cruz is going to be able to have the same footwork fluidity and all that. Now, I'm not saying that he can't do it, but he has to lose some step. Uh, Henry Cejudo has seven fights in the UFC. Dominic Cruz has seven fights in the UFC. And Dominic Cruz is the vet here, right? Obviously, he fought in different promotions. But as far as UFC goes, I mean, only seven times. He hasn't fought. Yeah. So I I just think that it's not going to be as close as everybody thinks. And I think, uh, I don't know if Sehudo gets him out of there, but I do think that he uh, it's a clear decision for him. All right. Yeah, so that was the co-main. Now to the main event, the fight we've all been waiting for, man, the savagery that's about to go down. In the lightweight division, we got Tony El Cucuy Ferguson fighting Justin the Highlight Real Gaethje. Now, El Cucuy, aside from the Diaz brothers, my favorite fighter, man, obviously the number one ranked guy, 12-fight win streak in the division, 25-3 and record overall. Justin Gaethje ranked number four in the division, 21-2 and overall. Both of Justin Gaethje's two losses have been in the UFC. Prior to the UFC, he was a World Series of Fighting Champion. Uh, in the UFC, he has a 4-2 and record. When he steps up in competition, man, the he doesn't get it done. Both of those losses were step up in competition. Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. Uh, he got KO'd in both of those fights. His two losses are by KO. Justin Gaethje, obviously, with his nickname says it all, the highlight. This dude has six UFC fights, seven performance bonuses. So one fight, he got two. The dude is a show. Don't blink. Um, his path to victory, he's going to have to knock out Tony. I know prior to this, when they were supposed to fight... On April 19th, he said he had a solid 15 minutes, and that was it. I do expect him to have better cardio with the extended, with that fight getting canceled and having an extra three weeks. Um, it's still going to be a go-for-broke mentality. That's just what Dustin Gaethje does. Both of these guys love to move forward. Uh, I'm most interested in see who's going to take the first step back and who's going to impose their will. As far as Tony Ferguson, man, the guy hasn't lost in eight years. Uh, he won tough, and then his first UFC fight, he lost to Michael Johnson by decision. Since then, he hasn't lost uh, all his opponents. I mean, he leaves them beaten and battered. It, it, it Halloween costumes as soon yeah. as that guy's done with them, man. And it's not like he knocks anybody out cold, but he the elbows, 
the strikes come from everywhere. For Ferguson, I think he has an advantage with owning his own gym, with being on the card since the original date. I mean, the guy made weight knowing the event was canceled a week before. Uh, he had to make weight. He still made weight. Getting shout-outs from David Goggins about being a savage. And if David Goggins is calling you a savage, you're a savage, bro. Because uh, that guy's rowdy. So, without further ado, man, I'm going to take Ferguson. I expect this fight to be a banger. It might be dangerous for a round or two for Ferguson. Although Ferguson has never been knocked out in his career, I don't expect to, this to be the first time he gets knocked out. So give me Ferguson, third round, TKO. Man, this is going to be a banger. I, I agree with Ben. I almost agree with everything that he said. I'm looking at Ferguson, you know, to come in here again as I talked with Dominic Cruz a little bit. Uh, Ferguson might be the most unorthodox guy in the whole MMA or in the whole sports world, just from when it comes to his training, how he lives his normal day-to-day -day life, and, you know, the way that he fights in the octagon. You never know kind of what angle he's going to come at you with. He comes with immense pressure each time, and, you know, he's not afraid to go to the ground. He's finished people on the ground if the fight's been taken there. Um, I know Gaethje has wrestling experience that he likes to stay away from using for whatever reason, but it would behoove him to stay off of the, off of the mats with uh, Tony Ferguson in this one. So I think they're going to keep it standing. And I still think Ferguson is the better striker. I, I think Gaethje's face is going to look like the rest of the guys that have gotten in the ring with uh, with Ferguson. So Gaethje does have that that knockout power, and he is a, a pretty precise striker. I do give him props. I, I don't think he's such a loopy puncher as his knockout record would suggest. The guy who's always throwing haymakers, but when he does connect. Matt, he connects. The way that he put out Cowboy was was pretty scary. Um, I think that was his last time out. I, I might be wrong there. But all that said, I'm still going with Tony Ferguson. He has too much to lose. He's going to win this fight. Khabib, you can't, you can't hide from him much longer. I, I think the fight between Tony and Khabib is going to happen on the seventh time. Seventh, seven is a lucky number. Is, is that going to be the next uh, number six. for the, the six. six? Okay, so it, it's going to happen. Uh, whether or not Khabib wants it to happen, I think Ferguson's going to get through this. Just too much determination. The only thing that I'm really worried about, and maybe I shouldn't be this worried, but you know, Ferguson's still making weight and staying at 155. Like I don't know what the the fluctuation in the weight could do to him potentially, but if if all that checks out and he's good, he's gonna walk away with a victory. Yeah. Oh, as far as Justin Gaethje goes, the he's two losses. The guys who beat him were physically tough and mentally tough, and that's what it takes to beat Gaethje. And I don't know a lightweight that is tougher mentally than Tony Ferguson. Champ stuff only here. He's physically and more mentally tough. He will get the win. And if you are looking for blood, this is the fight to watch. Champ I think Ferguson open. will cut Gaethje up within the first round. I do have it finishing TKO referee stoppage in the third. Third. Cool. Oh, yeah, nice. this fight This fight itself is, is worth the, the price of admission for the pay-per-view. And Roland... I know you mentioned Cowboy, Gaethje coming off a win against Cowboy. Both guys' last win were against Cowboy. So they That's both up. Yeah. yeah. Tony, obviously, Cowboy wasn't able to come out of the corner in the second round, and Gaethje walked right through Cowboy uh, with a first-round finish. Yeah. And actually, for that, uh, us as a show, we talk about sports. We're going to be giving a one consensus play, maybe two, uh, every UFC fight card. 
And the fight that we recommend for this week, our show consensus play, will be Tony Ferguson and his current odds minus 170 right now. So Tony, Tony Ferguson minus 170 to, to beat Justin Gaethje will be our consensus play for We Talking About Sports. Yeah. Sports. That's, a fi- that's the one I'm playing too. For sure. Yeah. And so that's it for UFC. Matt, we'll be back. Uh, I know Sunday is Mother's Day, but we're still going to try and film Sunday. Uh, recap some UFC. Get into the other cards. There's two. There's a card on Wednesday. There's going to be a card next Wednesday, and then there's going to be another one next Saturday. So we got. We're going to have plenty of UFC this whole month. I, I believe there's a card every weekend this whole month. So the UFC. Dana promised us he'd be the first sport back in action, and the UFC looks like it's going to be the first sport back in action. Coming back, baby. We're coming back. There we go. With the with the bang. With the bang. All right. Uh, what about uh, the last dance? Get to the last dance before we end the show. Did y'all watch watch uh, episode? Uh, what was it? Three and four? Uh, five and six, wasn't it? Five and six. Five and six. My bad. Five yeah. and six. Well, just to talk about three and four because we haven't talked about it. Man, that whole Rodman Bender was a crazy situation. I don't see anybody getting away with that in today's NBA. <laughs> Yeah, de- definitely, you know, the product of not having social media around. Uh, oh, Dennis yeah. Rodman being able to go out and run and, and gallivant in uh, Las Vegas in the middle of an NBA season with Carmen Electra. I mean, that's an all-time story. That's a legendary story. I, I know he's been in the Hall of Fame, but if he hadn't been, he should have gotten elected just based off of that story um, <laughs> alone. But uh, like Dennis him. Rodman, you know, as crazy as he was, I mean, they wouldn't have been able to have that second run without him. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting how he mentioned himself that he really cherished that time that uh, Scottie Pippen was out because yeah. he liked being uh, Michael Jordan's right-hand man, and then he kind of felt like the the third wheel once Scottie got back. So um, I thought that was interesting to get in the mind of Dennis Rodman. Um, <laughs> I know he's a he's a big fan of King Jong-un, but uh, he's a Hall of Fame basketball player at the end of the day, so it was good to, to get his insight. And then, you know, just getting into what, what recently aired, um, that Tony Kukoc story was oh, yeah. really crazy. Um, you know, Jerry Krause, I, I don't think he was wrong. I thought Tony Kukoc, he ended up being, you know, a pretty good NBA player and helped them, you know, win some titles there in uh, 95 and 96. And uh, the, the last three-peat, I think he was a part of all three. But that story and the amount of pride that, uh, Jordan and Pippen took in embarrassing him and uh, and the Olympics was was amazing just to see that. And then my last take on this was, uh, and I've seen this take, it's been pretty popular on the timeline today, has been, uh, you know, Charles Barkley, uh, you, you know, he, he had a, a pretty big piece in, I guess, the episodes five and six in terms of his, his interviews, but Hey man, we, we disrespect Charles Barkley too much, especially Draymond Green. I don't ever want to hear those two guys compared to one another. Draymond Green's not even half the player that uh, Charles Barkley was when he was in his prime. Ring's culture has gotten out of hand here, and assigning Draymond Green like fringe Hall of Fame status uh, because of that, he's he's not close in my opinion. I don't know. I'm a hater though. <laughs> <laughs> You're right on that though. He can't, he can't be compared to Charles and. Uh, uh, as far as episode three and four, the most interesting part was them showing the battles they had with the Bad Boys Pistons and Rodman being a part of it and the yeah. way he bullied uh, Pippen, you know, when they finally beat him, the way Pippen didn't react when Rodman kind of shoved him, not even just to foul him and something for making the basket, but almost like he wanted to hurt him. And then a couple years later, I mean, Rodman's on your team and 
Mm-hmm. Everything's all gravy, you know. It, it's it's crazy, but those are the types of things that it takes to win a championship, man. You just everybody's got everybody's got to be all in together, and and it seems like Jordan Jordan had everybody all in. Whether it took a couple of a, a week a week bender to to get you back on track, man. Whatever it was, it was gonna happen. Yeah. For episodes five and six, what stood out to me the most definitely was the gambling issue Jordan had. I know he likes to say, oh, I'll have a competition issue, but this dude was gambling quarters against the wall. I mean, <laughs> anything he could gamble on, he was gambling on. Competitor. Yeah. Competitor. And, and the last takeaway for episode uh, was the whole Kobe situation. They got a clip of Jordan in the locker Rest room. Rest in peace. Yeah. They got uh, Jordan in the locker room, and he says, that little Laker boy is going to go up one-on-one against everybody. Little and Laker then, boy. <laughs> yeah. And then he said... Um, he doesn't let the game come to him. He goes out and takes it. Man, being a Kobe fan, I just thought that was cool that Jordan said hey, something that's, like that. That's a Mamba mentality right there, yeah. right? You just go out there and get it. Don't How wait crazy for it Jordan saw that then? Yeah, Jordan yeah. noticed it early, man. So I guess, he, I mean, Kobe was, was meant to be a great one. He was. And yeah. rightfully, Kobe has etched his, his name in the, the rafters for eternity. So, yeah. All right, man. Yeah. Well... That's a podcast episode three where we talking about sports. Uh, just a reminder, uh, we are on YouTube. We're on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, soon to be Apple Podcasts. Once we get the links, uh, we'll be posting them up. Again, we appreciate all the interaction we get. Any comment left, we'll address it if we can. We, we love the interaction. Uh, any last words? Uh, let's start with Roland. Uh, no loss. I mean, not too much for me this week. I'm just glad to be back. We, we made it a streak officially, as I said at the beginning, uh, three in a row. I'm glad to get some continuity going here. I'm glad to have some more sports to talk about, some actual live sports. And I hope, uh, you know, in the coming weeks as uh, we get past the virus that some more sports start announcing uh, that they're coming back so we can have more to talk about. That's so, yeah, nice. I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to have sports to talk about. Yeah, as far as me, man, I'm happy to get UFC back. It's fight week. I'm happy to be starting this little competition that we have running amongst the three of us. Hopefully some of the viewers join us. Uh, throw out your plays. We're going to have a Google Doc. I'll, I'll be updating everybody's picks, and we'll review them every Sunday like we do with y'all's comments. Uh, we'll go over it. Yeah. We're obviously, we obviously want to do something for the winner as far as us hosts. Um, we haven't said what the, what's going to happen to the losers. Maybe a little power hour or something. Uh, <laughs> but if if a listener does come ahead of us in the competition, I feel like maybe like a gift card or something. Nothing crazy. Little but if something. you do come if you do come in ahead of us, a little something. It'll it'll be it'll run till the end of 2020. And like I said, we'll be keeping we'll be keeping track of the scores. Y'all just give us your picks. If there was a nickname that stood out to you or you liked. Let us know about it too, man. Uh, we're happy to be back, and we're going to keep pumping out these podcasts as long as y'all y'all are watching, interacting with us. Yeah, keep uh, the comments coming. Keep the comments yeah. coming. Yeah. Uh, last comment for me. I just want to acknowledge one of our listeners, uh, Noe Trevino. He announced this week he's going to have a baby boy. Shout out, Noe. Uh, Noe Bear. for you, brother. He's, he's giving birth? No, no, his wife, his wife. But, I mean, just a great I announcement. Just, I'm just looking forward to it, too, because that's my cousin. congratulations (laughs) alright thanks for listening guys later